water going and a rowing down the river sticks to our end. <laughs> That's a grim start. I don't know. I just thought I'd, I just wanted to start my rhyming, you know, training. Got to get warmed up, get ready to rhyme, get ready to say goofy things and have antics. I, I'm the funny one, right? I've got to be the silly one. Uh, I mean, I guess so. I You're guess allowed I'm not... to be silly. I, I'd like to think I'm funny sometimes, you... but, uh, you know. I mean, yeah, you're always funny. You just... I, I mean, I know I'm usually more of the serious, like, I mean, <laughs> I don't think everything. I don't want to typecast you, but, you know, it helps. It helps to have someone who's, like, oh. a straight edge, did some research, you're presenting facts, and then the goofus. I'm Bria. I'm Jenna. And welcome to Obsessive by Nature. to start it off uh, today with with a different thing that I just thought of while we were getting ready. Uh-huh. <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. Forgive me if you, you you're not going to know this. I don't care. I don't care you're not going to know this. <clears throat> so, Jetta, do you want to play a game? <laughs> I mean, I do know this. I got weirdly obsessed with the, the fucking um, that set of movies back in the day. Yeah, because you, you said you don't like horror movies. Um... I like horror movies that have a good point and aren't too, like, jump, full of jump scares, basically. But you, So you like seeing someone get, like, <laughs> torn in half, though? Um, it depends. And this is the thing that I had a problem with Saw in the long run. is like, I don't mind seeing somebody getting torn in half if it's serving the story in an interesting and useful way. The first Saw movie was kind of genius in the way that, like, you know, and spoilers, but, like... The dude in the middle on the floor that's dead isn't actually dead. He's the guy who set up the puzzle. It's like, that's a really what? clever, like, fucking setup where this whole thing is, um, you know, and, and the kind of, like, psychological torture that they have to go through to go through, like, to cut their leg off to get out. Like, it's a whole really clever thing. And it's all these interesting setups. And it's not, boo, I got you. Ha ha. It's... I don't know, set up and payoff. It's like you get characterization, you get character building, you see so much about this guy before you even realize that he's the person that's in the room. It's, it's I like it. I think it was really clever. And then by the about the fourth movie, third or fourth movie, it was starting to just turn into like, hey, this is uh, gore porn. Well, that's the, I don't know. I know <laughs> you like all those things about it, but I think for most of us cultured people, <laughs> we like the head explosions. We like the face ripping in half. I, at the time, I must admit, I was an AG teenager, and thought that stuff was cool. But I did actually like where it was going. And then, yeah, I don't know. I got tired of the series just turning into, like, these are snuff films with a barely held together mishmash of red fucking twine on a board going like this is the story and you need to watch these movies in this order to understand this storyline and then you're gonna go watch them in this order to understand this storyline like well it was so deep though it gave everybody an appreciation of life and how lucky you were to be alive what what makes life worth living 
Yeah, except that there were certain characters that they introduced who were just like, no, actually, I just want to torture people for fun. Um, and then they kind of tried to wrap that into like a, I don't know, finger wagging at the audience for enjoying the fact that they're watching torture porn. And it's like, mm. we have movies that like will be like, oh, you like it. Yeah, you like watching the horrible murder where the person got torn to pieces. You like that. You're so sick. It's like, yeah, but you made the movie, man. You did. You had to see all this stuff. You had to. You had to think it up in your head. You're. What are you calling me sick for? You're yeah. the sicko. I I am always fascinated when movies try and pull that where they're like, oh, you're the bad person for watching. It's, it's like, like a flasher jumping in front of you and then calling you a purr for looking. Yeah, it's like, well, you made this, you put this together. I don't understand your reasoning behind all of this, but here we are. Well, uh, speaking of making life worth living, and speaking of stories, uh, Toy Story is also <laughs> a movie, and. I think that, like, playing a game, playing with toys, is a fun thing. See, that's why I wanted to do the Saw opening, cause, because the word play yeah, is present in it. Yeah, play a game. But, yeah. I don't, but, yeah, but I don't believe in games. I'm, I'm anti-game, pro-toy. I mean, I'm pro-game and pro-toy. I, I mean, like I'm, I'm not anti-game. I just... I'm a little, well, we're going to get into that thing a yeah. little bit. I'm a little down on the, 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 the toys and amusement that is not a physical toy. I think that's not as good as i want a physical toy i i mean so this is this is an interesting thing that i think like we've we've seen between the two of us where like i didn't grow up with as many toys uh, as a kid i had a lot of things that i was i expressed mild interest that my mother then pushed me to to go and do so uh because the extended family was all musical it was like okay well here's a I, I I like playing the piano, I guess. Cool, so she bought a piano. Wow. And I was like, okay, I didn't like piano that much. Um, like, that's a lot of money to spend on a, a thing that I expressed like, interest like in a once. a grand piano, a stand-up piano? Just a stand-up piano. But that's like, still a lot. Yeah, it's not a, not a small amount of money to just buy on an impulse because your kid was like hey i like a thing did she like shame you for like not wanting to play piano yep i mean we're not gonna like unpack your shot of here but like damn i mean my mom would like buy me all the toys i had like every toy and then i think it got to the point where like i'd feel guilty wanting another toy because i I knew my mom be like you have so many toys but i want the new one though i want this there's a commercial where they knocked over ice blocks uh, really, what I wanted was those ice blocks, but nothing comes with that. I don't know where they got that from. Huh. I wonder, actually. Well, I mean, maybe that's a project for later. Yeah, we could. We can make our own ice blocks now. Yeah. We can. We can cut out the middleman. We don't need to watch cartoons to watch the commercials that come on to get ideas for the thing we can go beg mom for. I can go beg mom for supplies to make things. I mean, this is this is the interesting thing because I mean, you you've also been on this kick of making toys for a while. I'm sure a lot of oh. the people that know what you're into know at this point how many toys you've made. But I am I am thoroughly impressed by the work that you've been doing on them lately. Oh well, thank you. Yeah, I, I've been really on it lately. Is my obsession lately mm-hmm. uh, has been making toys. But like, I've actually been on this for a while. Yeah. I started making toys actually like my first toy that i really had the guts to make was like i think i had to be like 12 or 13 i want to say because it was just aging out of like playing with toys but i still had all these rad bitchin toys that my mom bought me when i was a greedy little kid 
And I, but I had like, I don't know, a creative impulse. I wanted to make something. And I just had this memory one day of like chopping up like a bunch of my frankly best toys. And I'm really sad that I destroyed them. (laughs) Uh, I, I chopped up a freaking um like beast wars optimus primal like the gorilla oh wow that that's like i don't know if you're familiar with that at all and i had a lot of the beast wars toys i'm very faintly familiar with it or or beasties as it was called in canada but the toys were still called beast wars which is a little confusing yeah that is war is too violent canada's a peace-loving nation we don't we've never had a war (laughs) There's no guns in Canada and there's no wars that we're involved in. And our, our, our beasts, they're not in wars. They're ease. They're, they're, they're beasties. Yeah. Uh, They transform into robots in disguise. And that was a rad show. Despite my hatred of computer animation, that back then computer animation was kind of charming because it was like gross. (laughs) <laughs> and but then they had such great fun toys out of it because i love transformers as a kid mm-hmm. and yeah i ended up getting the freaking because my mom got me like every freaking toy i wanted she got me the optimus primal which was like this double size beautiful gorilla so many he had like so many hidden weapons like swords and like a mace and like rocket launchers in his shoulders rocket launcher in his hand that sounds uh, awesome honestly it was such a freaking cool toy and i cut him up for some, I cut off his leg. He had such good legs. His legs were so good. <laughs> such nice joints in those legs. Such beautiful robot feet. He looked like just, a Gundam. Just some delightful gams. And yeah, <laughs> it would have looked great in some fishnets. I bet. <laughs> some <laughs> wire on there. Whatever. There should be a transformer with fishnets. They could have it. They, if they got Transformers gender now. Because yeah. like, Transformers full of canon trans Transformers now. Yeah. And it's like, why wouldn't they have gender affirming, like, transformation and get fishnets on, you know? Mm. Like. I mean, I've, defi- I'm, I've definitely seen some Transformers with boobs. Like, yeah, some pretty, straight up boobs. It, it seemed to be. Huh. I, like. Good for them. You know. Yeah. Uh, felt like a strange choice to me, but. Hey, you know, genders, yeah. they, they, they saw the gender and they're like, I want that. Yeah. I deserve to have that. Let me modify my body to have the gender I want. It's pretty reasonable as as far as I'm concerned. If that's what they want, why not? If you're a robot, it's all easier. You just get a hammer and dunk, 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 you hammer it out. Like, <laughs> yes, take your chest panel off. Like, I think that's actually how Bender does it in the awful oh, future God, yeah. episode. But it, this is all sidetracked from my beautiful Optimus Primal that I destroyed along with like these X-Men. I had like a Wolverine and an Apocalypse, but not Ooh. like the action figures. They're like these weirdo like projectors they, they had like a you know like a, what was the thing where it's like a circle a little disc with the photos a little mini projector oh, yeah um where you like put it up to your eyes or was it one that you this actually, one like, actually projected onto the wall oh. but it was very weak because it was a tiny it was not a tiny toy it was like a double size action figure okay like not a one ninth scale like okay for people who are not toy masters like myself one twelfth scale is like your usual action figure size, and that's kind of the standard for most things. GI okay. Joes are like a little smaller than that, and then you know you'll get stuff that's like one ninth scale, a little bigger. This yeah. guy's got to be like one, I don't know, one seventh maybe. Yeah, like one seventh scale, like not twice as big as one twelfth, but but pretty almost, close. yeah. yeah. Um, beefy guys. You've seen one or two things in that sort of size range. They're big, though. They're like, you know. It's big toys. A lot of people didn't like that about the Optimus Primal because he was out of scale with the other Transformers. 
But the reason why they did it was, I think, to make him match the Megatron, who was a literal Tyrannosaurus Rex. Yeah. So, of course, he was going to be big. You couldn't make him little. That'd be silly. But now you have this big gorilla. I guess they're thinking he's like King Kong. I'm guessing that's probably what they were going for, that like King Kong versus... The, the highly unrealistic scene that I know I've already dissected on this podcast before. Yeah. You already know my disagreements with the the hogwash <laughs> that is a gorilla defeating a Tyrannosaurus. I I mean, yeah, I think I think we've had the, this discussion at least once. Probably or a couple times now. Well, you know what? I'm not afraid to keep on sending it to a higher court of appeal. We're mm-hmm. gonna take it all the way up to God. It, it still feels like such a weird sort of setup i i could see some interesting things done with it but it also just sort of doesn't make sense to me well but, you add you in know. that this this t-rex has guns i mean optimus primal also had like more guns they gave they gave him way more weapons and way better weapons than than megatron yeah. but the megatron his t-rex mouth it could shoot water that's that's pretty rad that's cool little pss, pss, little... <laughs> just a giant t-rex water pistol it's pretty cool <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah, I love those toys. But cut them up. Made my first action figure like 20 plus years ago now. And then pretty rad. I felt guilt about it for a long time. So I didn't do it for a long time. But I always wanted to. Mm. And I've always had ideas. I think I've always valued like posability and like like the toy. I don't understand the anime statue thing. I don't I don't get it. I I can see some of it in some ways. I find the anime statues in particular to be very the little titty, the little little TNA there. Yeah, the the TNA gets a little excessive for me. I'm not, and I I mean I struggle with like some of the anime fighting games, anime games in general because if, it's very like if it's got boob jiggle physics, I'm uncomfortable playing it. Which I know that's like most games, and some games yeah. I love. Like I love King of Fighters thirteen, two thousand three. Uh, um, that one, you know, it's got the ninja girl with big tits. Mm. I love playing as that ninja girl, but I'm a little uncomfortable by her tits. Yeah, like, I, I, I've definitely played a few, um, a few ones with, like, jiggle physics and the extremely just, oh, her tits are, like, five times the size of her head characters, and that's half of the roster. It's, like, all the female characters come in <laughs> then three the other... archetypes. The, like... My tits are five times the size of my head, and I'm wearing clothing that barely covers them. My tits are five times the size of my head, and I'm wearing clothing that is so skin tight that I might as well not be. And then I'm as flat as a board and look like a child. Yeah, I was going to say! <laughs> the other ones, that's what really makes me uncomfortable in those games, is not the titty characters, it's the non-titty characters. Yeah, it's like the titty characters make me uncomfortable, the non-titty characters make me go like, I... I, ooh, I should delete mm, this game. Mm. I don't think I should have this game on my hard drive. Yeah. Like, I, it's hard because I like fighting games too. Yeah. Like, that's the kind of video game I'm most likely to play. And kind of like playing with little toys. You gotta make them fight. <laughs> right? That's what you'd yeah. be probably doing with toys in real life if you think about it. Except you yeah. have a computer to fight against if you want. Or some, you know, person way better than you on the internet to cream you. <laughs> or, uh, or, you know, a friend. Yeah. Like, Which you can do with a toy, though. Yes. I, but it, I don't want to get into, like, why toys are better yet. I want to finish my thought on video games. Yes. They make me uncomfortable, though. A lot of the best ones are weirdo anime ones and be like... You know, a friend will send it to me. I got one friend who's awesome. Uh, he's always sending me fighting games because he really wants me to play 
yeah. more fighting games. And he'll send me one. He's like, yeah, never played it, but it's supposed to be a really important one or whatever. Or maybe, you know, just this is an important game, you know, into the genre. And then try playing a bit. I'm like, this is a weird anime titty game. I feel uncomfortable. But damn, yeah, I get it. Smooth controls. Yeah. Like, I, I know a lot of people, especially with like Bridget and Guilty Gear. I think Guilty Gear is the one. Oh, yeah, I, got, I, like, yeah, I was playing Guilty Gear recently and I was like, I, I kind of like it. I really love the way it plays. Yeah, There's so yeah. much I really like about it. And then some of the characters, I'm like, mm, mm. But then there are some really, like, was the hot rock and roll girl? Yeah. I like, uh, she's just cool. I'm like, all right, yeah. this, I don't care if there's TNA here. I like this character. Like, that's, that's, I think, where I ended up with Guilty Gear is like, I want to play more of it, but it, it, it was like borderline for me. But I have seen some other ones that are, I can't remember the name of it. Just, uh, yeah, that guy got it was like Crystal X Pedo or whatever. Like, there's, there's like, weird, they're the gem fighter, you know, uh, Lollicon. Yeah. They're just not, really they're okay i gotta i'll give them more of a chance but try to be very choiceful and not picking the characters that make me uncomfortable i guess uh you know i like your dragon ball fighter z i like uh your king of fighters um what do you got that Morphin grid what's that power rangers battle for the grid that one's a charming little game oh i don't think i've ever played it I, to be honest i don't even think i've played dragon ball X? Dragon Ball F- Fighter X? Dragon Ball. It's called technically Dragon Ball Fighters, but ah. that's stupid. They should have called it Dragon Ball Fighter Z. That makes way more sense. It's, that... So it's, it's it's called Dragon Ball Fighter Z, folks. There you go. <laughs> Me like mangling the name, but that one I I played it once at your place, but uh, I was playing with your partner, not you. Yeah. Um. You know, she didn't like it. <laughs> I think if <laughs> you're really if you're really used to like Street Fighter, it's different. It plays like Guilty Gear though. It's she it's faster Guilty very... Gear picky i will say with yeah. her fighting games she has a big love for fighting games and she's very picky i i must admit i feel like fighting games have sort of stuck themselves in a weird corner where they've made it very hard for a lot of new players to get into it because they're like hey would you like to play this fighting game well guess what the controls are really confusing and you have to contort your hand in the weirdest mechanisms that if you didn't start out in the arcade good luck yeah and everyone like all my memories of fighting games with most people i knew was like here's a controller you'll enjoy this and then getting beaten on for like 20 minutes and just being like well that was a thing i guess well i mostly play with an arcade stick actually that's uh how my friend who wanted me to play fighting games more he sent me a, a fight stick um, and that's how i learned to play all these games and it is a lot easier to do a lot of the moves yeah we we picked up a little fight stick. Not yeah, so you long you guys actually have an earlier model of the same one, I think. Yeah, it's I, I I do quite like it with certain things. Funnily enough, lately I've been finding the PS5 controllers are the best for that. But that's like a whole. Oh yeah, I was playing with my partner's PS5 controller for a game. It felt nice. Yeah, it seems to work pretty smoothly. But uh, yeah, I I sort of wish that like I don't know the controls were more like press two buttons at once to do certain special moves because then it takes some of the like well, you know, hand contortion out of it and power rangers battle for the grid strategy. that 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 game's got a really simple move set because it's for children mm-hmm. uh which is weird because it mostly deals in like power rangers nostalgia that like people our age would be familiar with yeah so i don't i don't know but it's children who play that game it's a really simple fighter uh it's power rangers it's fun. <laughs> I know. It's like, you don't give a shit about Power Rangers. 
maybe some of the charm is lost, but it's basically what you described gameplay-wise. Well, I mean, I played something a little bit that makes me... The, your description makes me think of, which was the, the Naruto Ninja Storm games. Oh, that, that makes sense. That would be simple, yeah. Because those are also quite simple, and I quite like the... I quite like the dynamics because the simplicity of it meant that it was much more about how you timed things and uh, the strategy of using different things in different moments rather than like, okay, well, I hope you can contort your hand correctly fast enough in the right pattern to hit the move at the right moment that you want to. And just, I I yeah. enjoy the move aspect, but I like it best when it's like more about like the getting into the rhythm and like your, your it's like not contorting so much as like precision. Yeah. Like you got to get this configuration. That's like not a hard one to hit, but you got to hit it in the moment you're fighting. Yeah. And like, you know, a lot of quarter circle stuff like Dragon Ball Fighter Z is just like quarter circle with different buttons you do. And it's about the sequence and combos and switching the characters in. And... Yeah. Or, or like King of Fighters is like, it's got quarter circles and it's got like weird, like, um, zigzag. Yeah. It's like, it's like a forward down diagonal down you know like it's yeah. not a quarter circle it's like a reverse not a reverse quarter circle it's like a zigzag like forward down uh forward i think it is uh the forward f- down like quarter forward like quarter yeah. circle like not or like you know eighth or whatever diagonal yeah down no, forward I, I think i know forward down thing. down forward kind of you know yeah that weirdo they got a lot of that stuff and then you have to hit a button or two buttons and that's it but it's still, like, it's hard to hit it in time. Like, you're fighting somebody, the adrenaline's going, and like, okay, now I'm going to do my super move at the right distance, at the right moment, and I have to land that kind of weird zigzag with, yeah. the, the, with the stick and hit the other two buttons. And, like, that's just complicated enough. Like, I think Mortal Kombat seems to have more complicated moves I can never really get. I will say the, I think the latest Mortal Kombat has... Um... Has a, a relatively nice timing on the moves in that, like, you don't have to get the sequence super, like, done super quickly. But it does mean that sometimes it feels like you're kind of like pressing buttons in us. It's like tick, 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 tick. Oh, they oh. did a thing. Um. <laughs> huh. As a totally, like, different ethos to moves rather than, like, you've got to land this weird combination, it's yeah. you've got to type in the sequence. I mean, I'm sure higher level players are far better at this kind of stuff than oh, I'm yeah. likely I to be. Oh, yeah, like, You know, I played Cell Calibur a bunch in a very kind of smooth, buttony, mashy kind of way. Uh, when I say smooth, buttony, mashy, like, it's just a game where, like, moves combo into each other quite well. I think it was the, the Xbox 361. Um, that one especially, like, I found it's very smooth to, like, go from one hit to the next. So I never really learned any of the special moves because I was just, like, hitting buttons that seemed to do the right sort of things if I hit them roughly at the right times. Um, and I only learned how to use play fighting games, like, in the past four years. Hmm. Like, <laughs> prior I mean, to that, I was like, no, these suck. Yeah, I didn't. I couldn't <laughs> do them before either. I don't know. Uh, they're... they're, they're uh... I'm realizing as I'm trying to formulate the sentence, not what we're supposed to be talking about, but no. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, um, we like ducked down this weird. Well, if we're talking about play. We're talking yeah. about like toys. Like I want to talk about making toys, but also like what I care about in a toy. And fighting games are a kind of toy. They're the digital toy. The yeah. thing, the new kind of toy that's honestly taking over toys. Like kids don't play with toys. I think it's mostly like people our age who buy toys. Like I think 
Did you see yeah. that news story? It's like 60% of toy store sales were uh, to adults. Yeah. It was last year. I mean, I didn't see it, but that doesn't shock me in the slightest. Like, I mean, you know, I, I grew up with a lot of Lego. That was one of the toys that I was allowed to have. And oh, I, yeah. I adored it. Lego is, is a bit of a gem for me. And I know that these days, like, the vast majority of Lego sales are to adults. Because they're buying sets that they want to build for their home. Oh yeah, totally. It's like it's like the 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 bloody um, Nintendo sets. I gather have like mostly been bought by adults because it's Nintendo nostalgia for Mario and Bowser and what have you. And like there are entire YouTube channels that are just talking about different pieces of Lego and what they mean or how they came about and shit like that. Wow, <laughs> I got stuck into some of that in a sort of like weird fascination and like. This is a thing? Huh. Okay. <laughs> Meanwhile, I only buy third-party dollar store Lego for the most part. And I nowadays, I, okay, I do buy official Lego, but when I do buy official Lego, it's only I go to the pick-a-brick and I'm buying, like, ball and socket joints in bulk. Yeah. And I have, I've actually blown through most of the ones I bought making the various toys I've made lately. But, like... Just buy a whole bunch of those. There's a good ball and socket joint is like the joint you want. And Lego, uh, theirs is kind of the, I don't know about, I'm not gonna say gold standard, but it's like the, the, the bronze standard. It's, it's iron standard. They're solid. They're, they're, yeah. they're a heavy workhorse joint in it. Yeah. I like, I mean, honestly, the way I used to play with Lego is like, I'd buy a bunch of sets when I was a kid. Um, like I say, I'd buy a bunch of sets, but like I'd get a couple of sets and I, it was never guaranteed that I was going to get any of the sets that I wanted. So at best I might build like the toy once and then it just go into the box and then yeah. I'd make whatever the fuck I felt like. Yeah. That's what I do too. You, you build it out of courtesy, respect to whoever gave it to you, or even just like, yeah, I bought it. I might as well make the set. Yeah. It ain't surviving. It's no. going to get destroyed. Like even like unintentionally, it'll just happen inevitably. Oh, yeah. I, and then, I, then you use the pieces. You get all the good pieces and you use them in whatever cool spaceship or base or whatever you're making. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I didn't grow up with the... I, I mean, you and I have spoken about this a few times, but, like, on the pod, I don't know if I've, like, brought up the fact that I'm a strange kind of interest in, like, guns. And it sort of started when I was a kid because it was one of the things that my mother and my father were both vehement on. They were like, no, you don't get to play with oh, toy yeah. guns. I didn't Never. get toy guns at all either. So I made them out of Lego. Nice. <laughs> I made them out of sticks. I made them out of wood. I made them out of Lego. I made them out of anything I could. Lego was my favorite because you could make some surprisingly realistic looking guns out of Lego if you were smart and careful about it, huh. at least shape wise. Yeah, like so. Are you talking like purely square bricks, or you've got like various tubes and, and things too, like the round pieces? And I started with the purely square bricks. Huh. That was that was quite satisfying when I was like very young. And then as I got a bit older, um, like I don't know, eight, nine, I started to make them out of more and more advanced things. So there weren't that many tubes that I had access to, but I had some of the bionicle stuff. That was pretty good for like you know if you wanted like a, a pull. Um, for the the bolt mechanism and stuff oh, like that. You yeah. Could use like oh a, yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I got stick out with the bowl. And... I never got bionicles. I was a little bit too old for them. Um, yeah. But then, 
I bought, I've been buying Bionicles whenever I can at thrift stores the, mm-hmm. for a while there, like basically from like 2019 until like 2021. I didn't see them anymore after 2021. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could get nice big bags of Bionicle parts for like five bucks. That's and crazy. I got yeah. so many of them. And like anyone who's watched my toy streams that I was doing in like 2020, 2021, uh, and I was often cutting up these various precious Bionicle pieces and people in chat would be like, Bria, that's an extremely rare Bionicle piece. Please, <laughs> for the love of God, do not cut it up with a hacksaw and glue it onto your spaceship you're building or whatever. And I'd be like, ha ha ha. <laughs> Just... Toy wrecker go burr. <laughs> I love that though. I, I, you know, do what works for you. Like I, I think it's far more satisfying to make something. I mean, I, I still have a whole bunch of these parts. I want to take some castings of them. And like, you know, the, yeah. the cosmetic pieces were less important to me. I want those joints, baby. I want the ball and socket bionicle joints. That's what inspired me to get into making toys, actually. Yeah. So, like, back in 2019... I was doing uh, this comic, Starfist Gemini, which was like a kung fu action adventure story set in outer space uh, with extraterrestrial dinosaurs. And it was just all the stuff that I really like. I wanted to do a story that was more like, you know, like I, I got into doing comics to do graphic novels. Yeah. And like, that's what I thought I would be doing in my career. And then I just kind of went down the lane of doing web comics, sort of one-off comics, mostly just to work out my thoughts and get a creative practice growing but it was never really what I intended to do I always wanted to do long-form stories so you know that was me going into that vein and I ended up putting the story on hold uh while I had to do some other projects and I'm returning to it now which is what's got me going down on this but like at the time I really wanted to capture because of the action adventure kung fu side of it uh Akira Toriyama's work because you know I play Dragon Ball Fighter Z. obviously I'm a big Dragon Ball fan Dragon Ball Z, grew up with that. And I really like uh, Akira Toriyama's art. And I was really studying it and trying to learn a bit about the guy and and what makes him tick and why his art is the way it is. And supposedly he did a lot of model building and drawing models, like most young Japanese boys. Yeah. And that gave him, I think, a really good sense of 3D space, as well as he can draw these really cool, like, motorcycles and spaceships. Like, he... He just isn't. Uh, he, when he wants to be, he's an incredible artist. We we've talked about Toriyama yeah. on the pod a few times, and like, basically, I was thought, well, I'll build toys too. I'll start uh, building my own models, I guess, to get a feel for, you know, the same sort of thing, right? We'll see. And you know, it's been a long process. I started that in 2019, and I've been kind of ticking away at it up until now, 2023. It's four years of like, you know, trying this stuff in earnest. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I, I've seen some of the stuff that you showed me from from a while back, and looking now at the the kind of creations that you've you've been working on lately, and like given that we've been like in this new studio space, and I've been watching you working on them a number of times, it's incredible to see what you've done, like where you've taken some of these sort of cheap um, dollar store like Lego dinosaur sets and then turned them into things that actually look like proper dinosaurs as opposed to the I don't know, weirdly square shape of the original. Yeah. 
Well, like Lego has certain advantages. Like I, like I said, use the joints a lot as they're very poseable. Yeah. But uh, like a Lego dinosaur works really well because it has a lot of clean lines. It's just mm-hmm. a very straightforward, smooth dinosaur. Yeah. But uh, the most useful part of it is the jaw. It's got the opening mouth that can also hold. It doesn't like swing open. It doesn't snap shut. Yeah. It's like a very statically poseable jaw. And it's actually really hard to build a jaw mechanism. Like I can make joints you know, out of ball and socket joints, or I can stick a, a little piece of plastic inside a plastic tube, even sometimes like a, a Q-tip, like yeah. a hollow Q-tip shaft works great for like a little tube sometimes when you need one. And like, you know, you can make various mechanisms, but it's not that easy to make like a hinge. A nice yeah. there, there's ways to do it i'm going to be experimenting a little more with it but honestly the most reliable dinosaur jaw hinge is off like a lego dinosaur that's uh, i i kind of love how that works though because it's like just held in place by the, the little pressure the divots little plastic nubs yeah yeah and it's it's surprisingly difficult to make your own little plastic nub mechanism yeah like you'd have to like run like a like one of those Q-tip tubes or a, a doweling or some kind of plastic shaft or something, some kind of dowel through something and like pin it in. Like you could use a piece of metal that to cut the metal. A lot of higher yeah. end toys have metal joints. The only other thing I can think of is like, like we've been experimenting, you know, this is some of the stuff that we've been working on in the studio with like um, just silicon and making molds and using resin for it. Just to oh, copy yeah. things, and maybe oh, even yeah. like we can make mechanisms out of clay and what have you. But we're gonna have to. I can't. I mean, I can't wait to get to the manufacturing process to do that more. Oh I yeah, find this is that, all like, quite fascinating. This side's just the crude prototyping, just making a model yeah. that has mechanisms. Although I've realized, like some of my models, like they have mechanisms that aren't easy to reproduce. Like yeah. uh, I've got like some where they've got like an in- internal hip. Yeah. Where there's a ball and socket joint inside, like I'll cut open the dinosaur, crack it in two, and then like drill it out and like put a ball and socket joint inside it that the hips are connected to, as well as yeah. the shoulders. So you've got like these movable shoulder hip girdles and uh, uh, movable shoulder and hip girdles that wiggle around in addition to having a ball and socket joint at each hip to yeah. give the leg full mobility. Um, I've counted like on my newer models I'm making. Um, I count 27 points of articulation or so. The Hammond Collection Tyrannosaurus Rex, which is like a beautiful toy. I gush about it whenever I can. It's like the gold standard, best T-Rex you can buy. Yeah. 26 points of articulation. That's, I mean, that's pretty crazy that you've already like overtaken. I think this is the, this is the aspect of like toy crafting that I find is the coolest part of it is like, this is very specific to what you want to be doing. You're like, I want to make this thing for posing for art and what have you, and I want to give it all these points of articulation. So you've just made toys that have that. Yeah, I've always wanted that. Like, ever since I was a little kid, I was uh, sort of just, like, not uh, satisfied by the level of posability that, like, say, dinosaurs have. Like, I grew up in an era where, like, the original dinosaur toys I had as a kid were, like, the static plastic toys that yeah. typically you get with, you know, cheap dinosaur toys. But then Jurassic Park came out when I was five, and then they had the Jurassic Park dinosaurs, which had, like, slightly more posability. Like, some had mobile legs, mobile jaws, mobile arms, but not, like, 
you know, like hinge joints, not 360 degree ball socket joints. Yeah. And now like, and I was just like, no, that's not good enough. I want them to be able to move. Right. And with, uh, Figma's, like they were releasing their, the, the art dolls. I feel like that was where mm. you first really saw decent posability. Like you taught them at Farland toys and stuff, but they weren't, they weren't really it. They, they were delicate first of all. And they were one ninth scale, which is like, I don't want it. I want, I want one twelfth scale. Thank you. That's normal action figure scales, but any dinosaur is scaled too. That's worth its salt. You know, Jurassic Park T Rex is scaled to that. Yeah, like that's what we let's go for the the gold standard, the king T Rex. What's the T Rex scaled to? I don't care what anything else is. If it's, <laughs> if the T Rex isn't scaled to one ninth scale, then I don't want one ninth scale. I I I love how much of your life revolves around T Rexes. <laughs> hey, <laughs> like... uh, we've been over this. He was there for me in a very vulnerable time in my life. I I mean, like, you know, if you're going to pick something, why not? Why not T-Rex? It's the Apex. I, I, I love it. It's the honestly. height of creation. I'm very here for it. But, um, uh, yeah, so there wasn't a whole lot of posability in toys for a long time. Yeah. Until it's more recent years now, toy technology, like, I think everybody's trying to keep up with the Japanese. Like, Figma, SH Figuarts, they got, like... That's the gold standard. Like that's yeah. as far as I'm concerned, American toy companies cannot keep up with what they do in Japan with toy making. They just can't. They're not as good. They're not anywhere near the same level. I think. I mean, we I, we sort of spoken about this before, but I think like a lot of American toy companies aren't in it for the craft. They're not in it for no. making good toys. They're in it for mass producing crap. Um, yeah. Which, Whereas, as you talked about before, Japan still gives a shit. They're a country where they're like, they're yeah. trying, it's whatever it is, they're, it's ingrained that it's worthwhile to make a, a, a product that's quality. That's the market niche they have. It's making quality things, at least yeah. internationally. Yeah. I don't like yeah, I've never been there, so I don't know what it's like domestically. I know some places, they send out their good stuff, or yeah. they hold back their good stuff, too. Maybe Japan's holding out on us. I mean, it's, it's possible. I know, like, a lot of people who seem to really like going to japan to getting to get access to certain things but i think there's also a lot more of their just sort of like generic random crap brands because like everywhere has them i um, do know it's very expensive to import toys from there you you order yeah. an sh figure arts from japan you're paying an extra 20 bucks just to get it in like import fees or whatever that doesn't shock me but those ones that's where i really got my inspiration from i started getting some of those and like just seeing what was possible, like it started sparking in my head, like, how can I keep up with this? Like at that time, you know, mm. I'd started trying to make uh, dolls like out of the mostly bionicle joints. I started working out my first model for this book in 2019. And I was like, you know, it was kind of primitive. I, it was a very basic model. It probably just had like ball and socket joints for like the hips knees ankles like shoulders elbows like basic stuff that's good that's pretty good yeah. better than action figures when i was a kid but like sh figure arts and, and similar toys have like internal mechanisms like double shoulder joints that let them move more and you know like on every knee is like two joints on it to give it full flexion yeah like, you, know, you can bring the knee right up to the back of the leg like you know curl the leg all the way back and like uh, you know, interchangeable hands and stuff like that. And I've been tapping into that. So I've been making some dolls. Uh, like I, what really got me into it uh, is I had to make uh, dolls of like kids because mm -hmm. there's, there's kid characters in the story, 
Yeah. And I, I'm, they're good. They're doing Kung Fu and stuff. I need to work out complicated Kung Fu poses that these kids are doing. But the thing is, you can't buy a, a toy, like a one twelfth scale action figure, like say an SH figure art. Like I'd be happy just buying figmas and stuff and using that for like reference for most characters. I've got a bunch of figmas I bought for this purpose, but you can't buy like a kid size figma. Yeah. You can buy a kid figma or figure art, but it'll be like the same height as an adult with child proportions. And I don't get that. Why would you even make that? I I guess because for a lot of people using them, they'd be using them for scenes where they're maybe just doing the kid in it. But it's like, like kids interact with adults. Like when you have like, you know, it's like the kid's parents show up some point in time. Like, yeah, very I, few I, stories about kids are only have kids in them. I, I don't understand. Honestly. It's, it's a weird choice. I don't, I don't get it, but I, so I had to make my own yeah so i worked out these puppet sizes from like you know it's like all right well we've got our 112 scale action figure here a figma that like that's what a normal adult is in this story well let's make these kids like half that height now how can i work out a posable doll at half the height of an sh figure art it's hard that they're i can sort of see why they don't make it in that regard it's very tiny mechanisms you have to work out and like my dolls aren't even using as sophisticated of joints as these guys are, the Figmas and SH Figure Arts, which are like, I know it's sort of confusing. I'm not quite clear. that They are different companies, though. Okay. But they are effectively the same quality product. Mm. And there's, I don't know, there's some brand overlap there where some of them have the same licensed characters, as far as I can tell. I don't know where Figma ends and SH Figure Arts begins or how related they are at all, but they I don't know. I, they are, as far as I'm concerned, like both quality wise like interchangeable like i'll buy either if it's available kind of thing uh sh figure arts tends to i think have more of the branded stuff like if you buy i buy i've got some common riders yeah and they're all sh figure arts whereas figmas are mostly like generic art dolls okay but i do have an sh figure art art doll yeah and it, it's <laughs> I different guess they both do art dolls but one specializes more in the like figures as you say of, yeah like specific brands but uh, at any rate, I had to make these, you know, work them out at half the size. And it worked out okay. Like, I, you know, I, I, that's where I invented some of the things like the, the uh, swiveling hips and shoulders and worked yeah. out those because I was kind of forced to really compact it. And how can I get the most amount of mobility in the smallest amount of space? It's a, like looking at, at what you've done, some of these hip joints and uh, especially in some of the dinosaurs that you've like embedded inside, it's really impressive to see. Pretty fine. And like, oh yeah, here's one of the twins. No one else can see this, but I want to look at it. Yeah, we'll uh, just leave that nice audio work in there. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, like I had to really squeeze in uh, like the most amount of joints possible, and I had to work with multiple joints like types. Like I'm working with like Lego, Mega Blocks, uh, Bionicle, and then like Micro Lego and Micro uh, Bionicle because there's like off-brand micro lego that i discovered recently that's got like even smaller joints than lego can give you yeah and it's like you know i'm we're working on copying and manufacturing balls and socket joints and making our own joints but like uh right now it's pretty easy just to go out and buy a bunch of like i go to the japanese dollar store go to daiso and i can buy for i can't remember if they're two or four dollars either way it's a good deal yeah. Uh, for you for one of these like micro Lego like robot sets, and each one comes with like a dozen of these micro joints, and every one of those micro joints is like gold. They're so useful. 
Yeah. They're really high quality little joints that you can cram into a small space. And uh, this also, though, uh, go, to go back to the kid doll, um, it's where I first started also implementing the same hand system that Figma's and SH Figure Arts use, where they've got like interchangeable hands for all their dolls yeah. for different hand poses. And so all my future humanoid dolls that I'll make that have like human hands will follow the same system. Where you can just plug in the hands from the other ones, exactly, right? Exactly, to share hands. Yeah. So I'm uh, pretty hyped on that, uh, that I you know can have a system going where the toys kind of can interact in multiple ways. Not just they're scaled to one another for scenes, but there's like almost like Lego is a system of bricks interlapping. Like yeah. these also have a system that they work with. Well, I, I was going to say, like I've already, I think, seen some of your um, dinosaur girl art that's had that used one of the one or two of the slightly posable versions that you've done before i think yeah i that's one other reason why i was working it out is i started doing these dino night art back in the fall of 2022 yeah and that was also like part of for building up to returning to starfish gemini and mm. so i started using like my dinosaur models and my art models to do some of those works but then i started customizing my dinosaur models to make them more posable those are some works in progress cuz they weigh more yeah so some of the joint loads i need to use i think more robust joints in certain parts um but i'm figuring them out but i i did use them you know test them out for uh one or two illustrations yeah. and like those are things like i've like released a bunch of them but i'm like sitting on a big pile of them too just cuz mm -hmm. like i'm often like picking away at them like working on them and be like oh i think i want to you know i might want to add something to this later but i'm going to come back to it and like i'll like almost every single night i'll go home and start one not mm -hmm. every night but most nights i go home and just start drawing one and maybe work on another one too yeah and then i just bounce between them and then over time i accumulate finished like, art yeah well and it seems to produce a good result because i get to really take my time with any given piece yeah, and it also feels like uh, probably a good way for your ADHD to work with it. Because, yeah. like, you know, if you've got multiple going on, then you've got a dearth of ones to choose from. And if exactly. your ADHD is like, no, I hate this one right this minute. I'm going to come back to it later. Then you I, can. And most importantly, it gives me the freedom to start a new one. Yeah. Sometimes I just need to do a new one. And it doesn't mean I've given up on the old ones. It, I give myself that space to return to old ones and start new ones. I... It, that's a that's a whole like interesting side avenue in my view of just like um ways to give yourself the space to like try things or do things where sometimes you need to tell your give yourself permission to start new things because it's like it's not a waste of time to start a new project it's not a waste of time to like pick up a new thing or another one that i saw a little while ago that i really like is at the top of a writing draft you just write this is the worst version of and then whatever it is that you're trying to do, because then you give yourself the space to just write whatever goofy shit comes mm. up to you without worrying about the quality. And that just lets the ideas flow, because you can always tidy up the ideas later. That's that's really interesting. I, as I've been experiencing lately with my art, this weird feeling, it, this is going to maybe sound very strange to people, but like this feeling of like allowing my art to be beautiful. Like, I think, I don't know if other people have experienced this with their art, but I've had, I think, a block in my mind where it's almost like I I just don't let my art be good. Like, it's like I'm holding myself back because I have certain ideas about how I'm supposed to do it. But it's like, it's not that I'm consciously being like, no, this art can't be good. But like lately, usually I've had a little, you know, 
and I do some art. I sit down and, and just do, and I'm just like, uh, allowing it to, I just open myself up fully and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to let myself make it the nicest. It sounds so stupid to say, just make it no. the nicest possible. But like, and it's a very loose and confident way of like, yeah, and I'll make it really pretty. And it's somehow pretty now. Like I like, maybe it's just a psychological shift in me, but my art feels like it's prettier now because I'm like allowing it to be pretty, opening myself up to making pretty art. I, um, I, I actually, I've experienced the same thing. Like, um, just the other day I was doing like a little, just a little picture in my sketchbook testing out <laughs> this new pen and I was just kind of like letting it go where I wanted it. And I was, I started with like an idea of, uh, this, this wolf's eye that I was trying to draw and I started with that and then I just kind of let the, the brush take me where it wants it. Uh, looking at the picture every so often and then just like making whatever strokes felt comfortable and not worrying if I fucked it up, basically. Yeah. It was like, um, and it reminds me of a, a movie I watched recently, which had another thing in that vein of just being like, is this the boldest stroke you could make? Because like, you'll see in most art, what I, at least from what I've seen for a lot of artists, you start with the big bold strokes at the beginning and then you steadily get smaller and smaller and smaller as you're trying to do work on more of the details and trying to like tidy it up but sometimes you can get stuck in a position where you're like you're trying to make it look good too soon yeah and you still need to make some pretty big bold strokes i totally get caught up in the little details when i don't need to yeah i think if you like lose that fear of like fucking it up and just being like well if i fuck it up i fuck it up yeah so be it that's then why it just I goes on the pile. <laughs> I also like always having white paint and white markers on hand because mm. I actually don't like working in pencil that much. I've been working in pencil a little bit more lately, but most of the time I work in pure ink and I just like it's like it's this weird like it's permanent. Every yeah. stroke you make with ink is there. You can't erase it, but also you can with white ink and white paint. And yeah. so it just gives the total freedom while there's also like being able to commit to something and like take every stroke you make kind of seriously. Mm -hmm. um, I've, I've been off that a bit because I've, I've been trying to like, I don't know, a pencil I think lets you uh, be a little more plannerly. You can plan things a little more with pencils. So that's what I've been doing more lately because I think I need a little more of that. Yeah. Uh, but I like going back and forth between the sort of bold, like almost Zen brush painting ethos with pure ink work. And then this more analytical planning uh, work, uh, constructive work with pencil. I so my current favorite uh, two like pieces of art tools are is like a mechanical pencil, which I know a lot of people hate for art, but I I've used to been, be only mechanical pencil too. Yeah, it's I, I because I, I'm sort of reteaching myself to get back into art because it's a thing that I kind of like cut off for a decade because um, you know gotta earn that money or something fucking hated all of it um and like yeah i gotta read like let myself just be bad at art um and like that's been a that's been a whole journey for me is like giving myself the yeah. space to be bad at it and something that i've been enjoying with the mechanical pencil is just like very messy sketches where it starts as like the roughest of outline it's just like lots of little tiny scratches and then by scratching more in certain places, I get to build the form as it goes. Yeah. And like, that's been really nice because it, it, it's, it's allowed me to like make big, messy nonsense that's wrong. It feels wrong until eventually it doesn't. 
It's just like, you know, I can keep making these strokes that just go into nonsense places because I can fix it later. Because by adding more to it, you're kind of just like, that's what's fixing it, even though it's not really fixing it, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Oh, I know. I think I know what you mean. Yeah. The, the less you kind of just build things up in a very light, uh, casual way, it's like you're not, yeah. uh, you can always just kind of not scribble over something, but you fill it in a different way and then it becomes something else and you yeah. can just uh, build it up in layers. It kind of builds its own shading in, which is quite fun. Yeah. Um, well, that's one reason why I liked working with ink because your construction lines, if you have the right kind of ink, if you use a water brush, it now becomes the shading. Mm. so you have run over it with water and i'm getting way into watercolor now though too um so like i've been going that way and like cutting out the middleman so it's been just a quick pencil sketch and then watercolor shading and then it black lines i really like watercolor it's something that i want to play around with more because like i've done some digital watercolor which obviously isn't the same but i've never been very comfortable with any digital like watercolor painting stuff it's i can't quite get it whereas i'm finding the real life thing to be more intuitive yeah there's a a piece of software that i picked up for a discount that has like very realistic approaches to um like the way water affects it and like where paint affects it and how it dries and things like that um which i've been enjoying toying with but i still am finding i'm enjoying physical art a lot more which, uh, you know, I think that's kind of on brand for us. And it's yeah. part of why we're having the conversation about toys. Because, like, nowadays, digital art is kind of the main thing. And similarly, digital toys and assets are, like, the main thing for people. And I think there's a lot of reasons for it. I yeah. kind of get it. I understand the convenience. Like, it's... I, I pay rent on a physical art studio space. It's not cheap. And it, I, I rent the cheapest place I possibly can, basically, but it's still every year more and more. And mm. I have all this like money that goes into storing and, and keeping a space where like all this stuff that I had, physical art materials, toys yeah. and toy parts, all the everything you, you were here right now in the art studio, surrounded by like all these supplies that have accumulated over the years, a lot for cheap, a lot for free. Yeah. inherited a lot of stuff a lot of found a lot of stuff in the alley or at the free table in the nearby neighborhood but like that's a whole big commitment and like i have to store every piece of art i make or get rid of it whereas if you're working digitally like you get a bunch of digital assets like uh yeah. clip studio paint the program i like using for art they're now launching they're leaning heavy into digital assets i've seen thumbnails for videos of you art youtubers who are paid by uh, clip studio paint to promote it uh like you know the, the the they've got the cool like hand model it's like a 3d hand model that you can put your hand up to the camera and it'll track your hand to the hand model and then you can get your hands into the pose you need the model to be but then and then i guess you can rotate that model and light it how you want the thing is though that's cool it's pretty neat um yeah. you also have a 3d model of hands and you also can rotate yourself in 3d space to get a lighting effect on said hands you don't really need the digital like it seems like a really cool gimmick that's a really cool gimmick but you don't actually need it you could do it yourself you could cut out the middleman and just use your freaking hands in a lamp positioned how you want the lamp to be yeah you don't i it's one of those things where I can see the convenience of it 
and and like you say like not having all the, the physical assets but i i have to be honest that more and more like digital assets digital stuff is great but you always have to be staring at a screen to look at it yeah how do you bring that into the real world well it's like you know and i, I get interested in some of that stuff like i want to get a risen 3d printer at some point to to do like because I really want to get into like doing dioramas of um, models and stuff where you print some of the pieces and you put them together. But like, there's something very different about like, okay, well, I made this, like I used a bunch of assets and I slapped them together in this program and it looks great digitally, but I can't pick it up and touch it and admire it and all the angles. I've got to use whatever interface and I've got to learn that interface in order to look at this thing. Whereas like, you know physical art has dimension it has feel it has like tone that is changed by the lighting around you and there's so many things you can do to play with that there's so many wonderful pieces and like you say you know these things sometimes digital isn't really the way to go if you can reproduce it in real life in a way that is more realistic and doesn't cost you a monthly rental fee yeah, I mean, okay, I am paying literal rent on a physical studio to be in, sure, sure. But all the stuff that I have outside of paying for that space, which I will say is very wonderful to have a physical space that is dedicated to making art in, and yeah. no matter what, oh, okay, so you don't pay on a physical space for, uh, you know, you don't pay rent on that, but you have a subscription to your digital art program, uh, which, like, Photoshop has moved to, uh, yeah. Clip Studio Paint has talked about moving to, um, but you still have to do it like what in your bedroom, in your noisy living room, yeah, like at school, like or whatever. Like you it's still not have, to have a computer and a drawing tablet and all of these things to get like that use out of it, and they're not cheap. Like yeah, it's still a big investment, and then you're paying this rent on top of that just to do the thing in you know a. a less than ideal environment where you know i know it's a, a, a really a luxury the only reason why i'm able to have an art studio is because i one rent in the worst part of town uh and two basically live a bare bones spartan lifestyle that's centered entirely around making art like i you know it's part of this is who i am this is yeah. like i consider this an extension of my home it's part of my meta apartment that's yeah. spread out across the city I have this room I can go to and it's my art making room and I can do whatever I want in here. And uh, I, but at the end of the day, outside of paying to maintain that room, everything I have in here is mine. Yeah. Nobody can take it from me. I don't have to keep paying extra rent on it. It's a physical thing that I own. Yeah. And, you know, I try to use as cheap of supplies as I can. I shop at dollar stores because frankly, you don't need to go to a model building store for most things. Like most stuff like even right down to toys like i love going to toy stores but i don't typically buy toys at toy stores i go to the toy store to get inspiration i get an idea about what toys are out there what you can do with toys if i really like something i'll pick it up but don't need to you just gotta go look and then i come back and i make it out of something cheaper that's basically the same material where you can you know rig up your own thing yeah. you know the toothpick and acrylic paint on top of it or whatever yeah no i uh, i like i i think that the physical the physical media that you have in your space and also like there's something to be said for the creative process of finding things for cheap finding the things around you to make something that i think opens up additional avenues of creativity like okay 
Clip Studio Paints added these 3D reference models. You're limited by what models they have on file. You're limited by how they work in that space. And there isn't as much of a case of like, okay, well, how can I adapt this to what I want to make? Because like, well, okay, you want to do hands. Well, you can do hands. Sure, you've got this like hand thing, but like, what if you want to do a hand with an extra finger? Yeah. Is that possible in that? Like how well, easy it is, is it I, to do I that? I think there like, must be like there's third party, like people can make digital assets and that's like a whole economy now, right? You could yeah. have a job. You make digital assets to sell on the Celsius store for Clip Studio or whatever, right? Like people make digital assets as a, that's a whole market. That's a digital yeah. economy there. And I'm not going to like poo-poo that. There's people that do that um, for, you know, that that's how they make money. It is an art form. I, I I'm really down on did 3D animation, stuff like that. But like, I do recognize it's an art form. There are people who like doing it. They're very good at doing it. Yeah. And they may, they survive by doing it and respect. You get that however you have to. I, uh, I have a lot of, I have a lot of love for 3D art stuff, 3D animation, 3D stuff. Like I say, I want to eventually take, get a resin printer and like print out things that I can use in a diorama. Oh um, yeah. I'd love to work with 3D models and then make them physical. Yeah, but that's that's the thing for me is like I want to make them physical because I want to make art that is physical. I want to make art that is sitting in front of me that I can like look around and pick up and move and interact with. Well, I I know I benefit from that intuitive interaction with it because like like I'm talking about oh yeah, Kira Toriyama worked with models and that gave him a good sense of 3D space and posing and stuff like that. But yeah. I don't think he was always working for models uh or if he was, he didn't need to because yeah. I'm finding that like when I do a free form sketch, like I go home, have a little toke, sit down on my couch, start drawing up a, a lady dino night. Um, I'm not always looking at a model there. I don't always. OK, I totally do often bring my toys home because I'm so like pleased with them that I want to pose with them and play with them and get a feel. For them. It's part yeah. is an, is an important part of the process. Actually, I have to get a feel for them and then figure out, oh, you know what? This joint here, not quite working. Or I wish this had a little more posability. Let's take it back to the workshop and improve it, you know? You have to experience well, it. But I find just by doing that, just by playing with the toys and getting a sense of these characters in a physical toy format, mm-hmm. I have a better sense of them and I can draw. My drawing is getting better just because I have like an intuitive sense of 3D space as it relates to a humanoid body. Yeah, I, this is I mean, this is one of the things that I think is really important that art um you know the the studies of anatomy for instance has always has been a long-standing tradition for artists of like you know i mean fuck some of them were digging up bodies just to understand yeah (laughs) fucking da vinci was happily like exhuming corpses so he could like do the vitruvian man and shit um so like studying the body studying these things helps give you an intuitive understanding and like some of the a lot of the toys that you've been making have been these um posable dinos which you know that's not a thing that we can just like dig up a body yeah and it's not like you can go and like oh well uh, i guess you could make the the model in a 3d engine or what have you but you don't have the same kind of constraints that a body does in physical reality even one created out of bits and pieces and like you know the aim that you're going for but there's also a degree of like understanding how things flex and move in ways that gives you the ability to see how it all pieces together and i think that's i don't know it feels like something that's invaluable we are a species that developed a great deal of like 
cognitive thinking around how we use our hands. And I'm not going to say that you can't develop like those kinds of skills using just digital techniques, but I think hands are important. It's like babies pick stuff up. My hands are getting more dexterous because there's lots of times I'll be like holding like a glue, like a super glue bottle in between my finger, my pinky and my thumb, and then like holding like another toy between my uh, middle finger and pointer finger, you know, the piece. And then I'll have like, you know, my other hand is holding two things. I'm like doing like four things at once with two hands, like having to be extra dexterous for all this stuff. And like, it's teaching me physical skills of my hands that I do appreciate it. It's kind of, I don't know, you have to physically brace yourself in certain ways for like cutting and grinding and like, get yeah. a, you just get like a biomechanical sense of your, your own body as well. Yeah. Uh, because you're working with your hands in the real world. It's it's an experience that's a full body experience um, that like, honestly, like part of my process with art as well is like trying to like embody the characters a bit. Like I work out poses in my body. I work out facial expressions in my body, which yeah. is like, you know, like I do a little bit of acting on the mm-hmm. side. I, I act in some things. I was just acting in something over the weekend and like, I use that as an avenue to improve my art because I'm having to like be this person. I have to embody a character. And if I'm good at doing that in an acting context, that'll translate to being able to do that in a graphic novel context because a graphic novel is like a little play or movie. Yeah. I, you know, it's, um, I was discussing with somebody the other day, how I think, uh, how, how it seems like a lot of actors turned directors are really good at like directing other actors because they understand the kind of like movements and facial expressions and things that they're looking for and things like that and this feels like in a similar sense like in a in a graphic novel you're kind of playing as the director like having that acting experience helps you understand those kinds of like that feel embodying that character what are they doing in this moment how are they doing it how does that make their body feel how does that body how does their body like want to be in this moment is like i think really really imperative to to like drawing it naturally that's also relates to how i teach voice right because i do voice feminization lessons for trans women and a big part of my teaching method is centered around how it feels in your body to make Mm. certain sounds because you know i think a lot of teachers they focus on like lingo and, and technical jargon And like, you know, I'm not going to poo-poo anyone else's method. Their method is their method. I don't understand their method. I do my method. My method I found that helped me was really focusing on like how it felt when I made a sound. And I was working through a method that I learned that really helped me. And it is the basis of what I do. But Mm. the way I was able to achieve like the end result was by like really getting an intuitive understanding of it. Like, okay, so she's... Andrea James, my teacher, has taught me to you know, work with this, you know, the breathy, breathy, soft voice and the hard, buzzy, pinchy voice, right? And you're flowing between the two is what you're learning how to do. And in order to achieve a high level at those, I like had to like really get a sense of like, okay, it feels in my body like this when I made this sound that was really good. Like I recorded it, recorded a take on my, uh, you know, of my voice mm-hmm. and that one felt really good or, or sounded really good. And I was like, oh my God, that sounded so good. Okay, how did it feel when I made that sound? And can I recreate that feeling so I can recreate that sound, right? Yeah. And so that's what a lot of my method has ended up centering around, especially if you're like, you know, 
copying somebody else. You're trying to learn from somebody else's voice. You get like an intuitive sense of like, okay, that sound that person's making, I know when I make a similar sound, it feels like this. So I'm going to go to that feeling yeah. and now I'm going to make that sound, right? Um, so I think this is important, uh, the feeling in your body of working with something like a model, a, a toy or whatever, like you're interacting with it in a more than just conceptual way in your head. Yeah. There's like 3D model. You see it in front of you. You use your uh, fingers on the keyboard and stuff to maneuver it into the position you want it to be. But are you feeling it in your whole body? That That is, I think, exactly it. It's like, I don't think you can feel it in your body in the same way. Certainly like the... Because I've, I've dabbled with some 3D animation stuff. I've dabbled with like 3D model creation I've used it in a few cases to do some really nice poses on some things, but it is like it's not quite the same, and it's also very easy to like accidentally put the arm like through the body by accident. Like it just it'll do weird things that yeah. don't work in physics. Yeah, like <clears throat> it doesn't have the constraints that a, a normal body does. It doesn't have the same flow. You can't feel how the muscles work together or any of that kind of stuff. And, like, I, I really like your analogy of that, um, of, like, feeling things being really important to understanding how to, like, reproduce them. Uh, it's a very silly example, but <laughs> I do the same thing with, like, when I was trying to learn how to play Beat Saber at, like, higher levels. It's a case of this, I am feeling what my body is doing to get to these positions, and then I know, like, okay, well, I can do this by flicking in this way, and it goes there, and... It's like learning those feelings within my body so that I can reproduce them without even having to necessarily engage the part of my brain that thinks about where things need to be. Mm. It's just like, body, do this. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like It's the same as martial arts, actually. In martial arts, uh, I think there's, there's a difference between martial arts and fighting. Yeah. And if you... Like, uh, if you only practice the direct fighting moves, that's, I can understand there's a logic there because it's this efficiency, <clears throat> but you might not learn important biomechanical, like, principles, like using your hips and tightening your core and, like, supporting yourself in the shoulders through your back muscles, like, yeah. like, there's a lot of technique in martial arts that I think, like, they have the more stylized motions, they pull the hand back to the hip to chamber, They're, like, the big, wide like squeezing outward, like, you know, crane style or whatever, right? these flourishes that to like a modern perspective seems silly. Uh, but one, a lot of these movements are meant to hide things. You're like, you don't want people to know what yeah. you're doing actually when you practice it, right? Otherwise they know your secret move. Yeah. Uh, but two, it's, it's teaching actually this body feeling, this body mechanic. So mm. when you do it in real life and when you're fighting, you don't do the exact move. You're doing a more pared down fighting version of it, but it's the same principle where you're using your hips or your back or whatever the biomechanical process is to generate great speed and power for a little effort in order to create a powerful posture that is structurally very sound and difficult to break, you know, things like that. But it's not like you're literally doing it the way you practice it. Uh, you're, the practice is to inform your body for when you do the real life version of it, which is a little you know messier i think one of my favorite um examples of that was seeing like tai chi uh, i used to know a tai chi she wasn't quite a master but she was pretty close um at that level and she'd be doing it for like decades and you know tai chi is this very slow moving thing and then you see the masters do exhi exhibits and they speed it up to like 
20 times what yeah. they're doing what they're practicing and it's like you can see that they almost don't have to think about it things just flow from one move to the other to the next to the next and like it's not quite the same as it's obviously they're not actually fighting i don't think i've ever actually seen a tai chi practitioner actually fight but just that smooth speeding up like they've gotten that pattern down they've understood all those maneuvers movements and their body just intuitively gets it they're like okay well this next form and their body knows the muscular movements knows all the points that it feels like and they just speed that up and tai chi is supposed to be of course like it's soft internal martial art so doing it slow allows you to get that complete and total relaxation that is needed to perform it so when you do it fast you're still relaxed but you haven't like if you started somebody out go, going fast they'd just be sloppy about it they yeah. they wouldn't get it yeah. and you know most people don't have the patience for tai chi i it's i i i think my favorite exa- like favorite demonstration i ever saw was tai chi masters with swords fighting oh, each other yeah. because it is like a blur and they're moving so fast and the blades are like moving millimeters in front of people's like bodies it's just it's a thing of beauty but yeah i think a lot of people don't have the patience because it's also like well yeah you have to do like what three or four years of tai chi before you ever actually like have a demonstration fight oh yeah it's it's a very subtle art i I did it for a little bit and i trained uh with one teacher who i saw do some pretty crazy things that I might not get into just because that's totally not what we're talking about today, I yeah, guess. But, but but yeah, Tai Chi, honestly, people make fun of it. I think Tai Chi is legit. It's I, not like the most practical thing for most people because you will have to do it for decades and decades yeah, to like, actually be any good at it. But hey, you can be in your 60s or 70s and still able to do these moves. Like it's, it's totally good for preserving your body. It's not going to wear you out. Yeah. But uh, yeah, like getting that back to the sort of like actually working with a real thing to feel it in your body and get a sense of it especially if we're talking for art because like like i said if i work with the toys and the figures even just like seeing them and like getting you know like really seeing them in 3d space and like being interacting with them in the real world it it gives me an intuitive sense of them that translates into the art like it's it's a real Mm. object to me it makes the character or whatever more real in a like a really real way literally it's a literal thing it's the closest thing to having a person there yeah not quite a person but also by being able to see them small it that's kind of what you need to as a as a creator because yeah. like you can't see them at the human scale not all the time because now like you you have to see them from the outside you, you have to be able yeah. to see them from afar uh because you know one sometimes you need that perspective literally in a shot but mm-hmm. two it's like I don't know. It's like you're you're God above them. You have to be able to see this whole person and and like see them on a level that is not the human level. You see them beyond the human level. You see them on like the the their total world. Yeah, you well, have created their whole world. You, you've got to uh, oh, my brain's doing that thing. You got to like see where they fit within the context of the scene that you're building, like how they fit together, yep. the the story that they're telling, like all of it. And as you say, you got to like see them from that higher perspective that I don't think you can get as easily if you're not able to just like plunk things down and move around. And like I know some people have gotten to the point where they have like their skills within their 3D software up to the point where they can do that 
but it is a skill and it's often very dependent on which piece of software which is an interesting thing with the whole like renting uh software and like quip studio adding this stuff it's like something that happened to um a lot of the digital art um the sphere was that like a lot of people that went to school started getting access to things like photoshop for free and access to max for cheaper um and then they lock you in because they teach you how to use that software mm. and then any attempts to pick up any new software are going to be frustrating annoying and like confusing and it's like well max these days probably aren't the best tools for doing art but it's still the industry standard yeah i don't know everyone always is like oh you're an artist you must have a mac right oh i've definitely talked about this one before uh i don't know i think maybe in the chill goblin i talked a bit about it yeah i don't know uh but yeah i don't i don't use it anymore for a few different reasons and uh people are often really confused by that like they just assume it and like i did i'm exactly the same way i went to school yeah. they only had macs at school and i had i was forced to learn how to use a mac for that and then I, they had Photoshop. I, I've never bought Photoshop. I'm not going to buy Photoshop. No, uh, but I did learn how to use it. And as soon as I found an alternative to Photoshop, which was Quip Studio Paint, which used to be Manga Studio. And that's when I started using it. And it was like, you know, cheap. So I'd pick it up like, oh, yeah, cool. This is like Photoshop, but better for what I want to do. Yeah. Just draw comics. It's Sure, I'll pay that. And, you know, I bought a few licenses over the years of that. And uh, I don't know, I'm not going to subscription. If it goes to subscription, I'm not going to keep using it. That's for sure. That's one reason why I'm pivoting more to real life stuff. Because like, you know, I'm sure paper is going to keep getting more expensive and all that as I probably went into in the making your own pens episode. But yeah. like, you know, you can't take it away from me. I, I'm making real art in the real world. I, I'd rather if I'm having to pay a subscription fee, I'd rather just pay money for a physical object to get to keep. Yeah. I, I I agree. I am steadily heading that way. I am turning more and more into, I guess, a Luddite as well. Because, like, fuck, I... Mm, there's too many subscriptions. There's too many accounts for everything. There's too many ways that people are, like, controlling everything you're doing. And they're just jacking up the prices. It's an excuse to jack up the prices on digital stuff. And at the end of the day, you don't actually own anything. Yeah. Like, I can't take... I can't, you can't just like take your subscription to Photoshop and be like, well, I don't want to pay a subscription anymore. So what do I do? Well, you just lose access to that piece of software. You can't buy it to use it later. And you can't work on any of the, the art you are working on in it. Yep. That's it. Like, it's all just gone. You can maybe try and throw it into another piece of software that reads those save files, but otherwise you're out of luck, which is like, I, I can't abide by the idea of like, okay, well, you spend... I don't know, 20, 30 years working on your art and then the company shuts down and, oh, sorry. I, I think just psychologically, I'm not capable of it. Like, you know, call me a trans woman, but I just don't trust society. <laughs> I don't trust, I don't want to be underneath somebody else's thumb. I don't want to be in somebody's system that I'm locked into and having to play by their rules because I already have some life experience that teaches <laughs> me that you can't trust other people's systems. I'm, I'm shocked, shocked, I tell you. <laughs> That you might distrust society in some capacity? I just, no. <laughs> I, just, I don't want to be in some dystopian Black Mirror episode where it's like you have to 
pay subscription on your soul or whatever. Like I don't, or like, oh no, you can't make art. You have to make some gender dysphoria art because you're, you didn't pay enough money. You don't, you don't have enough money to like be yourself here or to do the thing that you want to do. And like, yeah, I know it costs money to buy art supplies, but like the dollar store, uh, it's not expensive. And like, you know, you shouldn't get all your art supplies at the dollar store. There's certain things that if you use that, uh, you'll probably hurt yourself. Like, yeah. don't use dollar store colored pencils. Um, mm. They don't have enough pigment in them, and you end up having to press kind of hard, and it's hard on your wrists and stuff. Like, mm. still, like that's not good. But like, paints and 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 pens, honestly, it's fine. And the paper, it's decent, depending on the art you're making, of course, right? But like, yeah, you can always be doing that. It's like dirt cheap. Do, I will say do keep an eye on like you know whatever scams they gotten caught in this time because like I know that they've had some a lot of dollar stores have gotten into trouble for like just selling stuff that's known Carson yeah it might be poison that's true poisoning yeah. people shit like that and they're just like well our legal department will take care of it that's why I like I like getting name brand stuff at the dollar store yeah you know it's like it's a Bic pen okay last I heard Bic wasn't caught in any scandal right. Not as far as I'm aware. And then the real trick, if I've not said this before, Japanese dollar stores. That's the really good stuff. Yeah, I I got the little like uh, ink brush tip pen that I've been using that I've honestly sort of fallen in love with. Japanese dollar store. And like, again, like paper is probably going to get more expensive, but like it's one of those things that's also just kind of ubiquitous right now and is pretty cheap. Yeah. I, I know it's intimidating because you don't have the undo button or whatever, but like you need to let yourself be freed up from that fear uh and like i think putting in the the work to learn how to draw with real physical media is worth more than putting in the work to draw with digital media because again you always have it you can draw with anything if you can draw with simple pencil and paper or like dollar store art supplies you can draw with anything you are not limited to specialized products that cost a lot of money you can yeah. literally make art anytime anywhere with anything yeah i mean like uh, you can just go and buy cheap stuff to slap on paint you can find paint that's been left in weird places you can go to like secondhand stores and pick up the art supplies there like there's a million things that you can do to just make art heck even if you just buy some glue and you take the trash out of your cupboard you can make cityscapes yeah like Absolutely. There's like, I've talked about Studson Studios before, about how you just make stuff out of like garbage. You just yeah. save plastic garbage for the most part, tofu containers and tubes and straws and things, any little knickknack. And that's part of like what, what we do here. Like we've got all kinds yeah. of toy parts and st spare parts and just like chop things up and glue them. You add on some air dry clay that you sculpt, you know, you airbrush it. Yeah. You've got like a really cool thing. And then you can combine that. You can do digital stuff to it, too. I'm, I'm very interested in doing the interchange of digital and physical. Well, I mean, this is a, an area that really, like, fascinates me. is like, the idea of taking something from physical to digital and then digital to physical. Like, because you can do things in digital that you can't do in physical necessarily, but you can use that to produce things that you can then do back into physical. And it's like, there's a delight in that. Like, making more physical art using digital processes to help you along the way like like the resin printer earlier like things like that you know i i still want to kind of like take apart some <laughs> 40k kits and turn them into like 
again, dioramas. Dioramas is sort of where my brain keeps getting stuck in this groove. Making but, a cool little scene. Yeah, I've seen that in a couple of like YouTubes of people doing like the where they've like made the blaster bolts from certain things as like lights. Oh, cool! So that they're like flying in between <laughs> things and like explosions on the the dudes, and it's just like cool. I don't know. There's something really cool about that, and like that's really neat. You know. There's something satisfying about having it in real life rather than like I could go through the effort of like trying to do that or like freeze framing some frame from a video game or what have you, but it's not it's not the same. Yeah. It doesn't have that same kind of quality. Yeah, I, I like having the, the physical thing to look at. And and it's easier to shift the lighting around on it again too. You can just yeah. shine whatever light you want. You can add atmospheric effects in real life. And like I know you can do a bunch of this stuff digitally, but now we're talking about, like, you're just into, like, different softwares, and you'd have to load it in, and, like, that's neat. I learned how to do a bunch of that stuff back in 2021, but it was, like, I mostly was layering it, like, physical to digital, so, like, I would shoot a model I made, mm. um, and then I'd, like, in you know, combine it with, like, uh, a composite shot of, like, another model that I shot. Like, I did uh, the video Lovely Buster back in 2021, and mm-hmm. I made, like, this little model of the evil palace of the evil queen on the moon. Yeah. And like we zoomed in on it on like a blue screen and then shot also a shot of the spaceship that flies by in that scene that had like a moving tank turret thing on it. It was made of just cut up like tank stuff and plane parts, bionicle parts. And the tank was on like the, the the gun was on like a string and this thing was in like a frame with like fishing line and then, like, as we f- swung it by the camera, we, like, pulled the string and moved the tank gun. Of course, it was a really crude model, so, like, sometimes it didn't pull very nicely. And, like, it was, like, we had to do so many takes just to get this simple flyby with a gun swivel. Yeah. And com- uh, superimpose that over top of the other shot. And then also superimpose, like, atmospheric effects on, like, a background that I had illustrated, like, and done a little animation with. Yeah. And, like... It was like a composite shot. That was really fun. I got to have both worlds where I had the physical thing. You got to see the physical presence of an object. But then we get the power of the digital layering and effects and things. Well, like, you know, I, I love all of that. I want to be doing more of that kind of stuff. But I, you know, it to me, it, it speaks to like Star Trek, Star Wars, all of these things where the digital models never look as good as the physical ones. When they've done a physical model, it almost always looks better it ages better it like you know you look at early like the prequel movies star wars did and they they look really cheesy like that was the number one complaint everybody had about them was that the cg was so bad and it's like yeah cg's gotten better but you know to get to the really high quality cg costs a lot of people a lot of time and effort and it takes entire teams to do like a 10 second scene and i'm never gonna I, I personally will never be as satisfied. I, like, I can see it and like, hey, that's pretty good CG. But if yeah. I see a model, even if I can tell it's a model, I'm like, wow, that's really good. That's a really good model. I'm really impressed by that. And then, yeah, you shoot your model and then you'd use digital layering and add other effects to it over top of it. Yeah. And the model will look even better. And this is, you know, to go back to the Risen 3D printer, this is the best part is like you could make a 3D model, print it out, assemble it, 
do the lighting in the room with you with the other effects that you're going on and record that and then touch it up with a little bit of extra CG and oh it would God. look the best. It would look so much better than just doing it raw CG. Yeah. And yeah, sure, it'll take more, maybe more time and cost more money. But like, I don't know. I don't know about you all, but I don't give a shit about business. I give a shit about art. We're talking yeah. about the best possible art, not the best possible business. Fuck business. Make art. Absolutely. Fuck. Fuck business so fucking hard. I'm so tired of this just ugh, mass-produced crap. This uh, fucking popcorn munching nothing. You know, we've, like, had, we've had a pretty good streak this podcast episode not talking about socialism, but <laughs> I want to have a little bit here where yeah. I just like, look, capitalism, if it's supposed to make the best possible stuff, right? Oh, yeah, it's the best system. It leads to the best outcome. Well, how come you're not making the best possible art and movies? And when we're, we say, oh, you should do it this way, the answer is, oh, well, that doesn't make enough money. It's business. Well, you've just admitted that business doesn't make the best art. Capitalism doesn't lead to the best outcome automatically. It just leads to business. Business begets business. Money begets money. I want art, baby. That's what I care about. And yeah. you're not making the good stuff because you care more about money. Agreed. Money seems to be the, the fucking be-all and end-all in their brains, and they keep, like, capitalism is just... <sighs> it's the cheapest way to make stuff that people will tolerate. And that's what bothers me the most about it, because, like, I don't want the cheapest art that I can tolerate. I don't want more movies that don't say anything that are cookie-cutter. Like, the newest... Like, the newest Black Panther, for instance. The set design, wonderful. Characters, wonderful. Storyline, sucked absolute ass. Was Most this of the one... fight scenes, eh, I don't even remember them. Was like, this one also about why the Black Panther party was wrong? I think it was an even worse version of exactly that. It oh. was, uh, and your, your comment the last time about the, the original Black Panther movie being about like stopping the Black Panther movement has stuck with me and I can't like think of that movie in any other way anymore. It's just... Well, you know, they, they always like, oh, we want to use, like, you know, U.S. military tech to fund this movie, basically, right? We're going to show the military. And if you made fun little models, and it was the whole aesthetic was you're making fun models, you wouldn't need to be in the pocket of the big military. But yeah. I'm not saying that using fun models would solve this problem of movies just being, you know, government propaganda, but couldn't hurt. I mean, like... <sighs> The physical props and all the best stuff are what looks so much better. It's so much better art. And it's, it's just... fun. Don't you like it's fun that something exists, that they made a freaking puppet? Don't you think it's so cool that they made a literal T-Rex? Don't you think yeah. that's so much more interesting than if they have a really good 3D model of a T-Rex? Like, I, I'm hats off to, to 3D animators and all of that for the impressive work that they do, but I... The best 3D work I've ever seen is touching up physical models. Yeah. T touching up physical things to do those moments where the physical doesn't work. And I love your idea of using 3D modeling to create perhaps like an almost impossible design. Something yeah. incredibly difficult to make in the real world. And then 3D printing it. And then you do some touch up and physical paint and clean up and all this stuff. And then shoot it in the real world. Like you are yeah. literally getting the best of both worlds there. It doesn't have to be all one or the other. Why does it have to be like only what, like you're thinking completely handmade Geppetto puppets versus yeah. doing everything in the computer? 
like why can't it be both uh, like one of my favorite things is weathering and stuff in 3d is hard it's lots of time it's lots of effort it's and when they details. do it they usually end up doing like a real like they'll copy a real texture and like yeah. put it on there it's like okay yeah neat but you could also do that in the real world with a real thing it's like okay so you've got your spaceship that you want to make look all weathered well how do you do that in m3 like i say you've got to spend lots of time as you say copying these textures and what have you how about you print it out into the real world and you take a fucking angle grinder to it for two seconds there you go it's got about a streak marks and a bunch of damage that looks kind of realistic and then you throw some oil weathering on there and you maybe scrape it with some tin foil or something voila weathering done 20 minutes we're good Boom. <laughs> like, and it'll look great because as we've yeah. talked about before the physics of the real world is your physics engine yeah lighting and particles are already working I oh, I have so much passion for like what you can do in that space. Like take these things that okay, as as I say, you could do this incredible model that you couldn't in real life on this computer, but then you can weather it and like make it real, make it feel present, make it have real weight as opposed to just being this dicky little I don't know nothing. You know, this has got me thinking about what uh, one of the things that got me into building toys was uh, seeing the making of behind the scenes of Jurassic Park mm. and about how I think it was Phil Tippett's animation team. They mostly did like uh, stop motion, right? And yeah. they were going to originally try to do um, Jurassic Park, some of the dinosaurs with their patented go motion, which is like stop motion with blur lines. I can't remember. Something to do with the camera exposure is how they get. Okay. And it's like, it's really hard to do. It involved, like, I think letting the model, like, drop a bit on a slow exposure so you see the blur. Yeah. Like, stuff like that. And, you know, they just decided it just didn't quite look as good of animation as the 3D. And, like, I get animation is hard, like, for a creature yeah. with a toy. Like, stop motion with a creature. I get it. You maybe should use 3D over stop motion for a raptor. I could see that being hard. But, you know what they ended up doing? They ended up, they didn't want to, like, kick out those guys because they're like master animators and the 3d guys weren't as good of animators i believe uh so they actually still had a model they yeah. still had a raptor model and by the way those screen tests for the raptors yeah okay i can see why they went with the other one especially cost it's mainly a cost thing more than anything right yeah. um but the models are so cool they got this beautiful stop motion raptor they had a t-rex they had a dilophosaurus and it was like I wanted that so bad when I saw it. I wanted that posable raptor. So I've been wanting to make that ever since. And I was like, oh, to go back to it, though, like they had the model still and they were still animating, but they were rigged up to yeah. the 3D. And so they could still do their stop motion animation techniques, but the 3D would like capture it. Okay. And then then they would, you know, 3D animate them, you know, and render it in the program. Yeah. And like. That was pretty cool, I thought, because they're, again, mixing the two worlds. They had these yeah. master puppet animators, but they had this new software they wanted to use. Those guys didn't really know how to use the software, but the software guys weren't as good at animating. So they had the puppet guys do a puppet that was translated to the computer. I think that's genius. I, I, I love, I like, there's so much motion capture stuff that I, like, am fascinated by, because there's so many things you can do with it. Um, but also, like, you know, it's, oh, the this is this is the thing for me is the techniques that were used to create puppets for these movies that have aged so incredibly well that those techniques didn't go anywhere in fact they didn't stop like progressing 
the the models and the like physical props that people make today are streets ahead of what they were just and like they're just cosplayers not being used as much yeah cosplayers make better props than movies had like 30 years ago yeah it's crazy and like there is a there's a group of people who love using things like 3d printers to create physical effects that look like movie stuff it's all, it was not to mention there's a whole bunch of them are like special effects movie people yeah. that use those skills to make their personal projects. I like I've seen a number of um, fucking people making iron. I know Iron Man ones are probably the most popular for a huge 3D printing project, but like it's pretty fucking impressive what people do with the masks that open up. Oh and, yeah, like, you know the kind of crap that they can do with physical props and then you look at like robert downey jr in the movies and it's like well he's wearing this weird facial rig thing and yeah they just see it when they cg like i heard people complaining about all the marvel stuff now they have like nanobot costumes that just like materialize around them it's like that's yeah. not as cool you know what the i don't like the the michael bay transformers not just because they're racist and annoying and jingoistic but like yeah. the transformations are just like a i want to see a and they fold out yeah. I want to see him fold out. Like the coolest thing to me about the Transformers <coughs> as the the toys was that like they transform. You could see how it functions. You could see how I it does it. I want to see it. mechanisms. I want to see like, little guys moving. They transform. It's in the damn name. And then the Michael Bay movies. Swirl. I, I watched the first one. I don't remember the plot. I don't remember you pretty suck. much most of the movie. The only thing that is stuck in my brain is the one Transformer pissing on a guy which like if that's the only thing that sticks out in your movie you've done a really really bad job no they're not i, I can't remember where i stopped watching them but they are who gives a shit about them yeah but yeah like i want to see fun little mechanisms and so when you, if you make a cool thing with a cool mechanism that is an automatic like instant ad like if you're making a prop in something uh like a gun yeah. but it's just like a solid piece and i can see that nothing on it moves it's not a convincing gun no matter what muzzle flash you digitally add in but if you at least give it some mechanism a yeah. hammer a trigger a little thing that goes every time it shoots it then okay now we're talking it's it's a thing that like and i like i said before i don't have the, the north american context on firearms but like guns and how they're engineered how they function has always been a thing that fascinated me and it really bothers me how many movies are like just i don't know throw all reality out the window they're like well they're holding a plastic thing i guess and they just wave it around and there's yeah, no like kickback or it goes pew pew i guess uh one of my favorite uh, little bits is a, a thing from the character uh, from the guy that played um Oh, it's on it's Stargate SG One. It's in one of these panels, uh, and he's talking about the Zat Nicotels, I think they're called, which is these like weird Zat guns that they pick up from the aliens. One shot knocks you out. One, sh uh, two shots kills you, and three shots like disintegrates your body. And you're seeing everyone hated using them on the set because it was like here's this plastic thing that like pops up and it looks a little bit like a weird dildo, and you have to just basically go like because uh, 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 there's no kickback there's no feedback there's no moving parts aside uh. from this like weird like press a button and it like pops up there's no there's nothing to it and it just like creates a beam and there's one or two where you see people pointing in completely the wrong direction because it doesn't even look like a fucking gun um 
and then the beam has to be painted in a different way ah. to the person they're supposed to. And he said, like, yeah, everybody liked using the P90s because they feel like a firearm. They feel like a gun, which is what they're supposed to be in that scene. They're supposed to be the thing that they are. Star Trek Next Generation suffers from the same problem. Yeah. They have their little phasers that get it. They want to make it look sophisticated. It's a super advanced future technology. It is. There are definitely shots where the lasers go in completely the wrong direction. And I've also never quite... I will say TNG has a minor saving grace, in my view, on that. In that, like, the phasers that they have are more like they're peacetime weapons. They're yeah. mostly used to knock people out. It's not like the U.S. military has stolen alien weapons to kill people with. Yeah. It's, <laughs> this isn't like we're going to murder a bunch of people. It's more like these are the things that we use as emergency weapons. They're like the the fucking weird gun that the yeah. Russians had put on their, like, oh, the, the, the cosmonauts. The, yeah, the, the shotgun, right? For yeah, the, like, crash, crystal shotgun. There might be a bear. Um... But yeah, I get it. It's like uh, a society that is not based around violence. It has these yeah. weapons that are very powerful because of technology, but they're not they're not weapons focused. Yeah, it's a yeah. It's it's very aesthetic is not weapon because it's they're not about weapons. But it suffers from that because it's like Absolutely. not a very satisfying prop now. Yeah, even the rifles. Yeah, the, the phaser rifle. I hate the phaser rifles. They're so goofy. They don't make any sense because supposedly, according to uh, TOS. The original Star Trek, for the you know not nerds, yeah. um, their phasers could like blow up like a city block. Even then, huh. if if you set it on a wide burst, you could blow up a city block. I'm pretty sure they said that in the original. And I know in T- TNG they had supposedly even more powerful phasers that could blow up like a city block or more if you set it to a wide spread. I like you it was could, like detonating the the energy coils in them, but I could, there's there's one where they're like uh, I'll, it's like a gangster planet or something. It's like I'll set it to a widespread and wipe out this whole city block if you don't do what we say, kind of thing. Like maybe he was lying to them to beat the gangsters, but I don't. I, I never got the sense like they were the way they treated it in the story. It was like oh yeah, this this could do it, huh. and so okay, so a little remote control that you hold can blow up like a whole city block. Um, why do you need a rifle? I, I have never entirely understood that outside of a different firing platform. Is it easier to aim, I guess, because it's a rifle? It is. Like, that is something that we do know. Like, pistols are harder to aim accurately at long distances. But if you're shooting a beam... Just... I mean, this is... Uh, I have problems with some of the Star Trek um, weapons and how they're put together because they don't entirely make sense. And it's one of my weird, obsessive, like avenues rabbit holes that i get stuck down because yeah they have no sense of kickback except sometimes they do the beams never quite line up for the shots because of course it's also this strange thing of like the beam has to be on for a while and like they never waver in the way that people do um it's like well it it doesn't make sense to me that if you're using a beam weapon it would somehow incapacitate somebody if you were just sort of, like, pointing it at them. And, like, you know, if you're shooting at somebody with this beam, it should, like, wiggle around, because people move. Yeah. They don't stay perfect. They don't still. have perfect tracking on it. Yeah, and, like, the longer you put it, that would cause more damage. That's part of the... Yeah, like, when they have to hold it, like, like, it's a very slow, like, you don't have, you don't have that, like, pew, pew kind yeah. of thing, like, that, like, if it's just holding it statically while it goes, pew, 
really unsatisfying kind of combat there. Yeah, like there's there's things I could think of that would like maybe negate some of that. Like if you're using that as a plasma conduit to direct electricity, I guess maybe, but weird. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Rather just have a zappy bolt that hits somebody and incapacitates them. And I'm, if it's like I'm, too high, it just fries them. I like my favorite uh sci-fi weapon is the plasma cannons in uh or plasma rifles in the terminator which i know you haven't seen terminator i've seen i think i've seen the original terminator oh really i thought you said oh it's conan you hadn't seen yeah haven't oh seen yeah conan. the terminator one yeah especially they got like the it's got this nice pulse to it yeah it's powerful and when it hits someone they like blow up like that's that's how it should be I don't want to, like, why are you shooting a beam if it's just like, oh, I got burned on my arm. Uh, it's not even as bad of a wound as I'd have if you shot me with a bullet. <laughs> like, it should blow you the fuck up. You should get... <laughs> like, lasers can work, but it doesn't make sense for shocking somebody. For, like, knocking somebody out. Like a stun. Yeah, because it's like, you know, lasers don't really work like that. And if they... It, it, it just seems like it'd be like really like you'd be like oh yeah it shoots waves at you and it like just fucks up your brain or whatever <laughs> like yeah, it'd be like, really easy to shoot somebody with too many brain ruining waves and kill them like how are you measuring it out to stun them exactly like if you're holding this on them it feels to be like it would like ruin their brain <laughs> yeah it, it's also like what is the mechanism that they're being stunned by because lasers are really good at burning things is it That's just heating your brain up and you like Ugh. <laughs> I guess heating your body <laughs> to the point where your brain is like, I can't take it, this anymore. This somehow it just doesn't kill out. you. Does it cause permanent damage at all somehow? <laughs> like, it, it, how does it go from stun to kill? Like, like what is the mechanism that's killing you that is also somehow stunning you in smaller amounts? Like, like this is why I feel like if you had something like a, a containment bowl of just like electricity that you flung at somebody and had X amount of joules, and you just it went on contact and dumps those into your body. Like, yeah, sure, at lower levels, you just cause somebody's all of their muscles to contract for a second and they'd collapse on the ground, like shaking for a bit, and voila, there's your stun gun. And if you ramp that up, instead of them jerking on the floor for a little bit, they just go in a cloud of flame and smoke because they burnt them alive. Yeah. Like, I... that makes sense. Laser, not so much. <laughs> laser is just, you burnt them a bit, I guess. They, you know, sometimes you shoot someone with a laser pointer and they fall down. Yeah. I guess you blind them, but... <laughs> <laughs> I don't, yeah, I'm just not a great, not a great weapon. Not a great no. prop. Yeah. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll circle back to, I guess, what we're supposed to be talking about, which is physical... <laughs> Toys. I think uh, having a really good toy sets a really good basis for whatever it is you're doing. If you don't have a good prop, it's not going to be believable. You're going to be shooting it the wrong way. Well, like, something to to talk about, like TNG, um, I do somewhat like the phasers in the sense that they're like that hand thing, and it is a very iconic weapon. Like, you you know what it is forever. But also their data pads, their little, like, uh, tricorders... Those things are a delight. Those ones, that's got a little flip-up screen. Yeah, it's got a little pop-up section. It's got all the flashing lights. It feels like something that they're using in a real-life setting rather than just like... That's a good prop. It's also... It it contemplates the practicalities of having a device in your hand that you're looking at and you're doing things with. Where I've seen a number of shows use the clear screen thing where it's just a piece of acrylic. And like it looks very aesthetic, but also 
anyone behind the thing can see straight through it. It's like, oh, you're going to have a, fo- f- a private conversation with somebody on video. What, what, what's the advantage? Why do we need a, a two-way screen? Like, that, But also, presumably, you're seeing the reverse of what's on the screen. Yeah, it doesn't like, make any sense It's just, me. It's just, a, it's a future thing. Yeah. That was like in Andor, they had the, uh, they're like, two slice uh, iPad. <laughs> yeah. It has like a slice through, it's like a worse iPad. It's got a slice right through it. Like, why? It's just to make it look future. It looks future. I I do like the, the like, heavy duty nature of a lot of the data pads in, in Andor. And like in Star Wars, old in Star Wars is all just yeah, but crap. yeah, that like weird fucking like diagonal cut made no sense to I me. I have a you know I'll, I'll forgive it in old Star Wars style because it's like oh yeah that was like it was the style at the time. You got big chunkies, you got switches, you got funny screens everywhere. Well, I, I so I have certain things that I quite like about that aesthetic because it's very like well you're trying to engineer things that are going to fucking last in that world and they don't have a miniaturization of technology that we do in some ways it's a bit of a weird one but like i can understand if you have like lots of different species that need to interact with it and they all need like things that are easily manipulatable even with hands that aren't the same shape or size as humans like i can sort of see that that makes some sense I can forgive it for those reasons. Like, I can see the practicality behind it. But that's where those, like, fucking clear Perspex screens make no sense to me. Or, like you say, that diagonal cut. It doesn't make any sense that the screen shapes would be, like, this weird fucking wedge shape for yeah. reasons. I want two I little wedges. That's my screen I want. Yeah. That's how I'm going to view things. bar between it. Like, for why? Why would you, you ever need that? But, yeah, why would you need a clear thing? I don't also, why do you need a hologram? How's a hologram more useful than just a screen? I don't, I'm not, I'm not convinced. You you know. I, I, I like for three dimensionality to whatever you're displaying, there's a degree of that, but I don't know that holograms are necessarily the best way to do it. Like, I don't know. There's, there's certain times I, I think Star Wars does a better job than some places with the 3D thing, but with the hologram thing, but even that's a bit weird. I know. I think Star Wars is easy to f- forgive because it's still, like, kind of living in the 70s. Yeah. Which is, like, I'm... Yeah, okay, let's keep going with that. That's more fun than, like, modern stuff. Modern stuff is so boring looking. Like, I want I want things that have, like, that physicality to them. I want to see the pipes and the tubes. I want to see machinery. I don't want to see an iPod. So, um... What's it called? The... It's a, in the space... Endless space? No, I'm thinking of the something. Expanse? The Expanse, that's the one. For some reason, my brain always just forgets what the hell it's called. That show it does the Perspex fucking phone thing, the Perspex screens things for everything. All the oh. screens are see-through, which bothers me. At the other end of the scale, their ship design, their like set design for so many things feels like it's got practicality dripping off it, which I just adore. I love the fact that like the fight scenes that they have with the Rocinante, where it's like moving in angles and directions that like you couldn't with a plane. It's not like, oh, we're just flying planes in space now for some reason. It's like it moves nearly sideways to like pass through things so that it can get a firing angle and the guns are pointing in different directions. Beautiful. Very cool. Loved that so much. And you can see they've used a number of physical models as well. Like 
I just, oh, love that kind of shit. Because you could put all those practical things, you could look at it and be like, this is what's practical. And, like, you know, I think you could think of it a difference in, like, playing with something in the real world. Like, you got a toy and you're doing stuff versus, like, you play with math on a computer and you could make it slice, like, really precisely. Like, I could see the advantage. Like, oh, I want to, I want to animate a freaky space battle and the ship's moving in weird directions that you wouldn't intuitively think something could move maybe putting in some math and getting the computer to do it i could see that you can make a neat effect with that but sometimes i think you might have to go through the process of playing with a fun toy and just moving it around and figuring that out in real meat space and then you go into the computer and figure it out with your fancy math yeah i you know i i think that physical element of play is extremely necessary to to have an understanding an intuitive understanding to like round it all the way back to what we were talking about earlier that that physical play helps it helps ground it yeah i think you need to play and like you know like like we're talking before about video games and how like that has largely overtaken physical toys as well and like that is a different kind of play you get a different kind of freedom with it that sometimes is hard to do with toys uh but like i think I guess what basically video games give you the advantage of is it's fleshing out details that with toys you'd either have to flesh out by making art or your imagination realistically is your first step is yeah. your imagination fills out whatever you know you got your two toys you're fighting and like you know that's not really what you're imagining you're imagining something grander yeah. and the video game gives you that grand vision right there which is cool but mm-hmm. Uh, call me old and crotchety and not liking anything ever, but you folks, kids these days need to be using their imaginations more. You need to, to get the thinking muscle going. You gotta work out the brain. What's it? You gotta, you gotta use it or you'll lose it. Uh, yeah. I mean, know? I think it's... It, like, okay, I said before that I grew up, I got all the toys. My mom bought me so many freaking toys, but mm. I actually didn't play with my toys very much. I had them. I liked them. I'd look at them. But most of the time when I'd have like little adventures, like if I made a story with my toys that like the toys would be like characters in it. I had like the queen alien was on the same team as Captain Picard and they flew in this like weird NASA spaceship thing I got at a uh, garage sale. Like, you know, it was like weird stories with like the characters were not the characters. They were new characters that just used these toys as kind of stand in figures because I liked them. I thought they were cool. Yeah. And. I would, though, I wouldn't typically play with the toys a lot of the time. I'd play with the ultimate toy, a stick. <laughs> I would get a really good a good stick that's, like, you know, about as long as your elbow. I, I don't know. Did I talk about sticks on the pod before? I didn't think so. I don't know if I did before. But, yeah, I, I imagine stories with a stick. It would help me. It would be a thing I could focus on. I could kind of visualize whatever was going on. And it wasn't always stories with my toys. There were, like, adventures with my toys for a certain time. But then they got more elaborate, and I was just imagining all kinds of fantasy worlds and things and Mm -hmm. i think that's where telling stories and like making comics for me came out of but it's interesting to me that it was like fed through like having a toy that kind of gives me this inspiration for a character because i have this little figure that i can pose and look at and get an idea of but then feeding that into my imagination and then kind of coming up with a story of my imagination but then like i'd have the stick would kind of like the motion and focusing on the stick would kind of help me get a feel for like what was going on in the scene but to an outsider just like some weirdo swinging a stick around but in my mind i'm seeing my characters do their adventures and stuff right and then translating that years later 
into making art and comics out of the stories and the imagination that I built up. Like that was a skill, I think. That was a muscle I built up as a kid of like imagining stories and coming up with whole worlds and that I can then turn into stories and make art out of. And if you're always, you know, like you can get inspiration from playing a video game. You can get inspiration by looking at beautiful art, of which video games are art. Yeah, I can get that. But are you using your imagination as much if it's all being fed to you? If you get to see a movie where everything's beautifully rendered, that's cool. And it can give you a bit of inspiration there. But if that's all you consume and that's all you do, you're not exercising that muscle of imagining things. You don't have to create scenes in your mind. The scenes right there, spoon fed to you. Yeah. And the video game, you're in this immersive world having a great big adventure, but the adventure is entirely given to you by them. And this is the difference between also video games and tabletop gaming. And like Wizards of the Coast and all that stuff, trying to tamp down on Dungeons and Dragons and stuff. Like they didn't like it that people could just buy these books or, you know, this or that asset and then use their imaginations to tell a story with their friends around a table. They didn't like that. Yeah, they wanted much more of the, I mean, they, and what's funny is that they, that's their business model. That's what they were setting up. Like, that's what D&D is, is, like, you sit with your friends and you make a story together. No, they want you paying a subscription, and they want you using their assets. They'll have, they basically turn it into a video game. Yeah. They want to turn D&D into a video game, because then they're providing you with everything. It's now a service that you pay for, not yeah. a one-time thing you bought, and now you'll use the brain engine you got to make a story yourself. I mean, like, yeah, I, my, it's something that I, I, I struggle with, with, like, um, Warhammer. Is like they seem to be like clamping down, trying to clamp down really hard on all the attempts to make people's own versions of characters and things like, like that. I, I don't understand with Warhammer, what is stopping people from just making their own? Make your own little guys. What do you care if it's like... Well, there's a big movement of people doing exactly that. What are they going to do about it? Like, you just make your... Like, buy some army men and put air-dry clay on them and paint them. You could make your own freaking Tyranids. You can make your own Orky boys. You can make whatever you want out of basic little things you don't need to buy their shit if you don't want to there's a number of uh tournaments and groups that basically won't let you and a lot of the places that people play in are like stores that have a connection to games workshop Mm. at which stage they won't let you use non um games workshop models it's got to be at least like 60 to 70 percent games workshop for them to let you play with them in their store which is yeah like it feels like there'd be a lot more people that would be a lot more into it if they could start with playing a bunch of lego figures and like slowly build up their army it feels like they'd make more sales considering like the pieces of art that their games workshop gets their artists to create which some of them are really stunning and fantastic cool models yeah expensive and again, like, I guess, call me an artist, but I would be interested, even if my model wasn't as good as theirs, I'd still be more interested in mine because I made it. And yeah. it's like the fun of making it and the satisfaction of having this thing that you made. Like, this is this is an area that I want to get way more into. And there's like groups like One Page Rules, where they provide rules for making your own armies too. And they have like sets that you can buy their armies or buy printed sets that they've partnered with and get them printed at which stage yeah you're supporting them in that process but they're also like bring your own make your own just do whatever the fuck you want have fun with it here's a rule set to make these toys into something that you have a rule set to play with like i love that shit 
I, yeah. It's one of the main reasons, that, the other main reasons that I want to get this 3D printer, resin 3D printer, because, like, printing your own models. You yeah. get to make them in whatever shape, doing whatever actions. Like, I've always wanted to have one of these, like, um, like I love the, the Tau rail guns, for instance. I've always wanted to have one with, like, the corona flare of, oh. like, a shot just leaving the barrel. And, like, I bet I could do that in resin and have, like, such a dynamic field on the battlefield. Like, That'd be pretty cool. I, I love shit like that. You could also, you could make, like, you could have, like, a cotton cotton swab like a like a cotton ball that you pull apart and like you yeah. use a set in acrylic and it's like the smoke billowing out of a gun barrel but <laughs> then you could have like a light in there too yes. a little led that lights up in the center of this uh, smoke explosion you just gotta drill a hole yeah. through it and then mount the light inside and little you tiny have, led you could have some little orange bits of acrylic too or you just you take um the cotton bowl and you paint it with like an airbrush yeah before you like spray it with the acrylic to seal it i've seen some people actually do some of that where it's got like a, a muzzle flash using a cotton bowl that they've like extruded cotton that they've yeah and like I've even seen one where, and like I want to like play around with that where you've got like the streak of the bullet coming out of the middle of this cloud of the barrel burst. Like there's so that's so cool that you could do that in real life, and you could look at it and you could pick it up and look around, and you know you can't do that super easily with just out the box generic toy soldiers. I I like I mean when I say generic toy soldiers, I mean like the space marine space marines out the box they don't have any of this stuff well i you know me as i said probably on the first episode of this podcast things you buy in the store are not finished products they are art supplies you can do whatever you want to them you can buy your space marines and do whatever you want to them you could buy cheap toys at the dollar store and cut them up and make them to whatever you want you don't need to treat everything as oh it's a precious product and i paid a premium for it and they did all the work for me like yeah. and there's nothing more that can be done to it that's boring there is an intense sense of self like of satisfaction at having something that you've made and created for you to enjoy like i don't know everything that i've ever created that i have used in my life either for entertainment for art for like whatever practicality any of them there's a sense of satisfaction at having made it it's like, I made this thing, and I get to use this thing that I made, and it's exactly what I wanted and needed. I didn't go to a store and just buy, like, whatever art was sitting on their their shelves that, like, you there's 600 copies of this piece of art. This is, like, because the company paid for it, and it'll look sort of okay on any wall, but it's the same picture in every office building forever. The real, the real fun thing to do with that is you buy it and then you paint a little Godzilla in it or something. Yes. You give it a little... You could even use a sticker. Like, you could go to a dollar store <laughs> and get some stickers that, like, you could trim around. Make a craft out of it. Don't just don't just stick a sticker on it. The yeah. sticker's got a little, like, yellow... Or not yellow, white border mm-hmm. around it, usually. You could, like, carefully trim that out and put the little pterodactyl in the terrible painting you bought and... Like, you can add little things. You don't even have to be a painter. You can do little fun crafts and make your own thing. And it's like, oh, what? Did you devalue it? Did you devalue the the poster that you bought? Like, it's such a precious piece of art that was not mass produced. Yeah, like there's six million of them still there. You could have a unique one. You could have a fun, interesting one that you made yourself. 
I like I especially with thalassophobia. Um, I think that's the one with the fear of deep water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thing like I've seen some beautiful ones where they've taken like this picture of the ocean and what have you, and then you just paint, and then somebody's just painted in like Cthulhu's hand reaching up oh, or, or like Kraken tentacle sharker. Just, I don't know, make yeah. it, it makes it unique, it makes it interesting, it makes it fit into your world, it's fun. Yeah, I mean, I, the physical world, I understand why people retreat from it, because it feels like you don't have any control over it. Yeah. And, you know, we've already done, like, a whole podcast on this on, in ver- in so many different ways. But, like, like, I get it why people are tempted to go with, like, the shiny 3D assets or doing digital whatever. But, like, being invested in the physical world and doing things in the physical world, to me, is more than just being cheap or more than just having control over your own life it, and or being embodied in yourself. It's, like, interacting with the world around you. This is the world that you live in. This yeah. is, like, where we are. I think that, to me, is, like, I want to be invested here. Even I know the world sucks. I hate the world. The government sucks. The, you know, God is evil. Everything's <laughs> bad or whatever. But, like... You know what? I'm here. I got a physical body. I experience physical reality. I want to be in tune with that. I want to interact with that. That feels more rich to me. Yeah. I think, you know, for me, pulling away is something that I did a lot. And it's not as rewarding as making the world around me a brighter, better and happier place. And sometimes that's just by filling it with toys, filling it with things I get to play with. Yes. Having fun. Yeah, that's the like I talk about this so much framed in like art and being an artist and work and making products, but like it's it's really having fun. Yeah. I love buying toys and playing with toys and and getting to have exactly the toys I always wanted as a kid. Yes, ah, they they're not going to make the perfect toy for you because they don't make toys for you. They make toys for a market. They're going to make a mass produced toy that is easy to reproduce and sell at a uh, profit, right? So that's cool. I get why they have to do that. But it's not the perfect toy for you. And chances are nobody else is going to make the perfect toy for you. Not unless you want to hire somebody to custom make it for you. Sure, you could do that too. I'm sure you could get a really high quality piece of work. Not everybody can do that though. But, you know, maybe you need something to do in your life. Maybe you want a a hobby or maybe you want to be doing something a little more satisfying than like watching Netflix or or playing video games or whatever, right? You could... Mm -hmm. Yeah. You could make a fun toy, make your perfect toy, customize one of your toys. I know it's scary. I was, I kind of regretted cutting up and breaking my beloved Optimus Primal. I probably shouldn't have started with it. You know, I should have started with something from the dollar store. But like, you could figure out how to make exactly the toy you wanted. And if you're into toys, you're into to playing and having fun. Maybe you should try making something for you to have the maximum amount of fun you can have. Because I got to say, playing with these dinosaurs feels so fun. I have so much fun. Even if I wasn't drawing a comic with them, I would have these fun dinosaur toys I get to play with now. And they are perfect. Well, here's the other thing. is like mass-produced toys. You could probably find another version of those same toys that you like took apart many years ago and replace it. Yeah, it's not the same one, but it looks, functions, and feels the same because it's the same mass-produced thing. They exist out there. And, like, where is the one that you made yourself? The ones that you've modeled and tweaked and played, they're yours. 
nobody else, as you say, they're unique. Nobody else has one. And that's, I don't know, that's pretty cool. It's special. Like, a lot of people have uh, sentimental value on their toys, right? It's the precious yeah. thing from childhood. And I wouldn't cut up my precious childhood toys. I've got some toys that I'll never damage. Mm. I might I might clean them up. I actually want to, like, refurbish at least one of my childhood toys. But, like, you know, like, if you have something you made yourself, like, it, it becomes unique. It becomes yeah. extra special. And, like, you, it's, it, it seems like an act of destruction to cut up a toy. But if you, like, I was talking about with, like, the white ink thinking out things like if you give yourself this freedom to like make mistakes and know like oh well if i cut something or break something i can like i can repair it with some putty i can paint over it i can completely rework this at any given time and i'll make it work uh that's very powerful yeah and you can make anything you want at that point because you're not afraid of failure yeah and like, you know, I've got toys I'm holding right now. Uh, one of my inspiring toys for me in this process of when I first started making toys in that desire to have a completely posable dinosaur, I bought at the time, basically the best dinosaur money could buy the Amber collection, Jurassic Park Velociraptor. It's mm. pretty good. It's very nice. Slightly the wrong scale to be a proper yeah. Velociraptor. It's more like a Utah Raptor scale, but that's fine. But it, it could be improved on. Its torso is no flexion. Yeah. Uh, it its toes are not posable. Only its uh, sickle claw fingers not posable. Uh, you know the neck could actually use one more point of articulation. It 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 could be improved on. And I was very precious with it when I first bought it because it was a special toy that I only I'd never encountered such a nice toy before. But now I'm at a point where I'm like, yeah, I could cut this fucker up. <laughs> yeah I, I could i could improve this beautiful you know top of the line toy yeah that a few years ago was like the best velociraptor money could buy i could improve it i i'm looking forward to working on improving things like that making making skin making all sorts of like weird shit to like make better art assets and better toys and I love this shit. Well, the process is just starting. We got a lot of builds planned. Like I've been dicking around making these dinosaur models and character models, but we're going to be making some dioramas for the comic. We're going to be making some vehicles for things. It's going to be really fun. I'm really looking forward to when we finally have the free time to actually make that happen. Me too. It's going to be, I think it's going to be a a pretty exciting year, couple of years coming up, honestly. And it's been a long time coming. I've been feeling kind of silly, kind of sitting on this, because like I said, I started doing Starfish Gemini back in 2019. Yeah. And like, I, it's been kind of hard on me to put it on hold. I felt like kind of a weird rejection. Not even like, I'm realizing like people did like it, but for whatever reason, I didn't feel like it was good enough. And I felt like it wouldn't be popular if I didn't return to it properly. And mm-hmm. like, so I've been taking a long time preparing. And I'm like, shit, it's been like four years basically since I put this thing on hold. And it's going to be a little while longer because I'm still wanting to build up these models. We're going to like do a photo shoot, do the storyboards based off the photo shoot, make art based off the photos and the models. Like, but I want to do all that prep work to make it as good as I can make it because it's very important to me. And the, it will be worth the wait for me. Certainly, you know, whether or not people respond to it is almost immaterial to me at this point because I need to make it and I need to make it on my terms which yeah. means with fun toys. Well, and, you know, uh, we 
spoken in our own time a bunch about this, but we want to bring everybody along for the journey that wants to come along with us. Yeah. See what we're working on as we're like building up for for making this because yeah this is a project that's been in your mind for a, a long while it's I, gonna be so much fun to work on i released my first vlog uh at the time of this recording uh probably by the time this podcast comes out there'll be a couple more vlogs uh posted mm. on uh right now it's on my facebook but i'm gonna put it up i think on youtube and embedded on my website too mm. uh just releasing weekly vlogs talking about and showing some of the things that i've been talking about here like the first one I did was the one of the models I made of a dinosaur who's got these cool wings that it's like it's just made out of like paper and Lego and foam. Like yeah. it's really basic materials, but it's I'm really proud of that model. It looks so good. And yeah. like I'm just gonna be showing them off on camera, talking a bit about the process. And I also shows other things like art that I'm making too, but it's just it's a vlog pro to show the process and keep the momentum going so I can keep working on it and then actually show what I'm working on even if I'm not ready to post the finished art. Yeah. And uh, we'll do. We're gonna try to record or some of the bigger builds that we do, yeah, and make a video showing off uh, that whole process because it's gonna be pretty neat, I think. Yeah, now that we've got the new studio space and it's starting to like, it's almost perfectly come together. I think, like, we're gonna set up some camera rigs and like record some of the stuff that we're working on as we're doing it. Bring you into the studio to some degree, see what's what's happening. Yeah, uh, it's it's exciting. It's gonna be a good. I don't know, however long it takes. Yeah, I mean, this is very much an organic process. We're building it as we go. But, you know, that's part of the fun, I think. That's how I do everything. I feel it out. Do it intuitively. Yeah. Well, should we probably cut it there? I think so, you know. All right, well, Obsessive by Nature is brought to you by supporters on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash lifeofbria to support the pod and all the other wacky stuff we're doing, like, you know, toys and comics and videos for, you know... Uh, I think it's like two dollars a month. Yeah, you get access to all that. Get access to the the disc uh, cord. You can hang out while I'm working on stuff. Actually, I yeah. give people voice feedback. Uh, it's a nice little community. Come we're on gonna, down. We're gonna try and spend more time in the the voice channels where we can. Oh like yeah. The thing is, I'm using a lot of power tools lately. That's why I've not been there. But yeah. when I'm not using power tools, I've been trying to go in there while I'm drawing or yeah. hanging out. We do watch parties and stuff. It's a good time. Uh, come on down to patreon.com slash lifeofbria and go to lifeofbria.com to see those comics I talk about. Yeah, they're great, honestly. <laughs> thank you, Jenna. I, you know. <laughs> and thank you for this great combo. It was a good pod today. I think so, yeah. Thank you, everyone. It's been, been a delight. And thank you, dinosaurs, for being so precious. Good. Perfect.